You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 404 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Corey. And while tonight is episode 404, don't worry, there are no errors as we have found. Get it? Because error 404 is, you know, file not found. <laughs> okay. So anyways, we have found an incredibly powerful indie movie that everyone needs to see, Tearsucker. And joining us tonight are director, cinematographer, editor, Stephen Vanderpool, writer, producer, actor, Sam Britton, and the star and emotional core of the film, Allison Walter. Say hello, all. Hello. So I am so, so glad that you're here tonight. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to start out by saying that I think this movie is fucking amazing. Like, seriously, I, I adore it. It's so, so goddamn good. Uh, we saw it as part of the Chattanooga Film Festival, and for me, it was definitely one of the best, if not the best of the fest. And I don't see that oh, lightly, because there are some amazing films that screened, uh, that screened with Chat Film Fest. Um, and, and I loved just about every single one of them. Even the ones that I didn't love, I really, really liked. So this was a solid year of films. And, and to me, Tearsucker really stood out. Uh, so I'm very happy that not only are you joining us uh, to, to discuss it tonight, but this is actually how we're kicking off our Chat Film Fest coverage. So to me, this is just the best possible way with an emotionally wrecking film that is... Uh, <laughs> that Thank is you. I mean, we're... We're we're honored to be here. Uh, you know, we're we're very appreciative that you liked it. And truly, I agree. The lineup at Chattanooga was so strong, and you know, so many of the movies were so good. So many of the shorts were so good. Uh, just to be included, we felt very privileged. And you know, to to stand up from the crowd on top of that really feels like an honor. So you know, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and for our listeners, let's go around and make sure that people have the names associated with the voices. Uh, so go ahead and introduce yourselves. I already said uh, a little bit of what you did in the film, but if you can just you know speak a little bit about um, about the role that each of you played in creating Tearsucker. Okay, I'll start. Uh, I am Sam Britton. I wrote the script uh, in collaboration with other people, including Stephen and Allison, on various things. Um, I am the lead producer. I have a producing partner on it, also Robert Campbell, and I play Tom, aka the Tear Sucker. I'll go. Um, I'm Allison Walter. I play Lily in the movie, uh, and I was primarily an actor on this project, but I'm usually very hands-on, and so I, I keep asking, like, what can I help with? What can I do? So on the back end, I've been helping with various uh, projects, and especially with the festival loved. Um, kind of being involved in some of the community outreach and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and I'm Stephen Vanderpool. I was the director and director of photography. Um, my brother, Eric, was the lead editor. Um, I would 
call my role in post more the uh, very reluctant post supervisor. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of uh, fun technical things to work out since uh, we completed the movie, but you know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> we think re- reluctant is the key when it comes to most of post for any of us. That has not been our favorite part of filmmaking, but it's important and you got to do it. So, Stephen, were were uh, were you backseat editing? Were you just like, uh, are you really going to leave that scene in there? Oh well, uh, my collaboration with uh, Eric was we basically had him do a very solid first cut of the movie, um, and he. I'm so glad we did that because you know I'm a fully capable editor, but I wanted it. I wanted to give it to Eric because I knew he would make some creative choices that you know I wouldn't being so close to the story and the shoot. So it was great to bring in, you know, his outside perspective of how to, you know, assemble the story. Uh, So he did a really solid first cut that was like two hours and 15 minutes. And then uh, I I took it out of his hands from there. Uh, And I had his input, like kind of, you know, moving forward, going along. But yeah, I I personally trimmed the movie from like 215 down to 94 minutes and, you know, kind of smoothed some things out. And, you know, we deleted a number of like entire scenes in that process as well. Well, I would love to see the uh, two hour and 15 minute version because (laughs) I'm so curious as to to where it could have gone, because I don't feel like anything was missing from this movie. I I, I love the fact that it was, you know, a tight 90 minutes, but there was still so much packed into it. There's so much uh, emotional weight that's just just crammed from beginning to end. Um, before we start getting into some of the questions, um, like I said, we saw this at Chattanooga Film Festival, and since this is part of our Chat Film Fest coverage, why don't you all tell us a little bit about what that fest was like for you, whether you want to focus just on uh, on the screening of Tearsucker or the fest in general, but, uh, but yeah, how was Chat Film Fest for you? Uh, I'm, I'm going to cut you off because I'm so excited. I want to go. All right, go ahead. <laughs> this was like the most amazing experience. I have never really been to a film festival other than a few here in LA where, you know, you pop in and you go to the movie you're connected to, or maybe, you know, someone you're supporting. Um, but I've never been to one like this where it, the summer camp for cinephiles really feels so tr- such a true description because everyone from the first night, actually the very first night we met Corey at the bar. And by the end of the night, we were like invited into dinner with us. We made friends. There's all these new connections happening. And by the end of the weekend, we left genuinely feeling like we've made all these new friends and people that I truly plan to see every year and feel like family now. So it was really an incredible community um, and just how talented and interesting every single person we met and talked to was, was incredible and watching all the films, but really the community to me is what stood out. Everyone was so supportive and kind. And I mean, then moving on to the discord, we got home and we got involved on the discord for the virtual festival and everyone on there was really supportive and amazing. And um, so, yeah, to me, that was uh, the community was the strongest aspect of it. And then on top of that, all of the films were also good. So it's like, how can you get better than that? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Steven, you want to go? Um, yeah, the Chattanooga Film Festival was uh, an incredible experience. Definitely easily, you know, one of the top festivals I've been to. And I think it was just such a great home for our film. You know, I, I felt like we were, it just felt like we were in the right place, you know, talking to the right people, seeing the right films, uh, 
yeah, I had great respect for all the work we saw. Uh, I saw a couple of fantastic features while I was there um, and a lot of great short films. And, um, you know, it's all stuff that I genuinely like, which is uh, often not my experience going to festivals, you know, uh, more general festivals where they just have like, you know, a little bit of drama, a little bit of comedy. It's uh, I I love the lineup there. So, yeah, it was definitely an honor to be selected to play amongst uh, such great films. Yeah. And I will, uh, you know, yes to everything that they both just said. I agree with all of that. Those are all the same thing, the same things that I loved about it. And then I think what I'll add to that is that I think part of what's so special about it is that everyone was there to watch the movies and to celebrate the movies and to talk to the other filmmakers. And it seemed like everyone was there for the right reasons. It's not like at some other festivals where, you know, people show up hoping to meet somebody or trying to get, you know, free swag from a gifting suite, or it's just, you know, purely, marketing promotional stuff and nobody really cares about watching other people's stuff. Like this one was so different and it felt so genuine in so many ways. And it was just really fun to be around other people who like truly love artsy, unique, thoughtful, well-made independent film. That's like actually independent film, you know, not some big $20 million studio quote indie, like, you know, true independent film where people are, they have a vision and they're hustling to get it done and it was just so like uplifting to get to be a part of that. And I think we all just felt so jazzed while we were there. I know jazzed is like a <laughs> 1940s <laughs> word, but that's just what came out. Uh, but we were so jazzed to be a part of that. And I think that feeling stayed with all of us once we got home. And, you know, right away we, we said, I would love to go back as just an audience member to just watch movies, even if we didn't have something there in the future. And that doesn't happen with a lot of festivals for me. I think a lot of times they feel like a grind and this one was just pure joy. People there for the right reasons. The quality of work from everybody was so good. And, you know, like Steven said, it just felt like that's where we were meant to be. So, you know, nothing but uh, two thumbs up and 10 stars for me. (laughs) I feel like that was a recurring theme that we kept saying all to each other was, wow, this feels like it was meant to be every time something happened, we look at each other and say that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that warms my heart because I love Chat Film Fest. Uh, Video Monsters would not exist were it not for Chat Film Fest. Uh, I wouldn't be talking to uh, to each of you uh, about this amazing movie were it not for Chat Film Fest. So I, I am very, very emotionally connected to it. So whenever someone, um, and, and not just like, a, oh yeah, it was a great fest. Like I, I can tell that there's a genuine love for it uh, from from each of you, and so that 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 just warms my heart. Um, all right, so I have so many questions about Tearsucker, and I want to get into all of them. But before we get into them, uh, when this episode is being released on July seventh, it is hitting VOD. Yes, yes. Where where all is that going to be available? Just in anywhere that uh, that you can rent online. Yeah, everywhere that you can rent and buy movies, I think on almost 100% of households across the US, it's on all the big cable VOD, all of the, you know, iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google Play, all of that. In addition to it's already going to be in some libraries for people that want to license it for like, whatever you license libraries from and you can also buy a DVD via Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart and BarnesandNoble.com. 
Really? I did not realize there was going to be a physical uh, out already. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't yeah. either. Wait, DVD, not Blu-ray? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> but DVDs, DVDs are we should have gone VHS. Like, we're going to go retro. <laughs> should have gone VHS. I mean, I would have bought a great lo-fi, I think. <laughs> it, it really would. <laughs> There's another one place people have been pre uh, pre ordering and adding it to their up next is on Apple TV. It's also available. I don't know if that was mentioned, but another one. Well, once uh, once we finish, I'm gonna go order a, a DVD because I am very much a physical media person. The the the, the wall that's blacked out behind me is just all movies. So, oh, um, all right. Yeah, so I will, I will, yeah, I will add to that that if it if it's not available to be purchased yet for dvd it will be soon they told us sometimes it takes a second so you know if people want to get a physical copy um just check in with any one of those retailers and you should be able to purchase it through their websites if not then it'll be up there in a day or two and it is available everywhere you can rent it by movies otherwise digitally okay awesome very good to know so with that in mind in terms of it is only just today at the point of posting not the point of recording going to be available uh i want to start out with some more just kind of like general less spoilery questions because some of the questions that i have are literally dealing with the last line of the movie some people don't really care about spoilers. I personally don't really care about spoilers. You could tell me everything that happens in this movie and be like, okay, cool. Now I know what I'm about to go watch. I know other people like the surprise. So I, you know, I, I don't want to get into too heavy a spoiler territory. So I want to start out with some, uh, some more general uh, style questions, but for any of our listeners that know that I love to dig into movies and really get into that analysis, don't worry. We're going to uh, put a spoiler wall up about midway through, and then we're going to dive into uh, to some of those things that some of the things that I feel like maybe you need to see the movie before we start talking about it. Um, all right. So even though we're not going to be getting to spoilers, I do feel like we at least need to give a little bit of a trigger warning because even though there's not really anything that is explicitly graphically shown, the themes of this movie are dealing with uh, with emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, a history of trauma, gaslighting. So this can be a very triggering movie because of its themes. I do think it's important for people to know that going into it, because if they're just kind of like, oh, what's this movie? Like the first scene of the movie, you're like, oh, that dude is like an abusive gaslighting asshole. Oh, oh, God, I was not prepared for this. So I do think that people need to at least know that, that the themes of the movie deal with abuse. Uh, so some of the questions yeah. might deal with some of that broadly uh, in this first part. Um, but, but yeah, I at least wanted to, uh, to give that little bit of trigger warning. Um, all right. So let's start with just a, a 30 second film pitch of what you would tell or a 30 second film fest pitch of what you would tell people about your movie at a film fest. If they were trying to decide which film to check out next, um, so, you know, like not just what the story is about, but why this story, you know, like what was the driving force behind making this movie and making sure that the story and message got told? Well, I will, I will say that my version of it is and there. Of course, there's a dog howling in the hallway outside as there always is. <laughs> um, I think my version of what's most terrifying to me is emotional manipulation, psychological manipulation stuff, because I think that a lot of times 
those scars are things that even if you don't know that they're there, they can fester and grow over time. And it takes a long, long time for that kind of stuff to heal, even if you're working on it. But a lot of times people don't even realize that they've been wounded by being gaslit or uh, being emotionally abused or any of those things. So I think that's truly terrifying to me in kind of the ways that like Alfred Hitchcock did horror. Uh, So I think that's what I would advertise the film as is, hey, are you interested by psychological wounds, psychological horror, psychological trauma. That's definitely what we deal with in the film. And then also, I think it's a great vehicle to start a discussion about it, which is another thing that I wanted to accomplish because I think a lot of this kind of stuff gets thrown under the rug. Like it's not as bad as this. It's not as bad as that, but it's awful and it can wreck people forever. And I think it's important that people can say that and that we talk about it. Yeah. Six minutes out of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and and that's one of the things uh, before uh, we get Stephen and Allison's response to that as well. That's one of the things that I love so much about Tear Sucker and why it hit me so hard and why like uh, Corey can attest to this because um, we were sitting next to each other when we saw it in person, got to the end and I just looked at it and was like, God damn, that movie's amazing. The, the reason that it hits so hard is because it doesn't show things graphically. Like it's not that bad of a movie, you know, nothing terrible happens. It's, it's not as bad as if, but it is. And all of that stuff under the surface, all of that behind the scenes, all of that gaslighting, all of that emotional abuse, that's the stuff that so many people deal with that. They're just like, well, you know, at at least I wasn't actually raped or at least I wasn't this, or at least it wasn't this. And so, so many people, either don't feel comfortable talking about it or if they do try to talk about it, they get shut down, mm-hmm. but it is just as it, it, it's just as traumatic. It's just as terrifying. I should mention my background in psychology. Uh, and so, so like watching this movie was like, okay, these are the things that someone would bring into a therapy session about all of this history of abuse. If this were like a grindhouse movie, that's what they would go to the cops with. Just, okay, there's someone out there just killing a bunch of people. But this, the Mm -hmm. reason that it hit me so hard and why I love it so much is because it deals with that. It deals with the emotional side. All right. uh, Allison, Stephen, uh, what about you? Why do you think that this story needed to be told? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to add to what we're all saying here. Um, and actually, I'm going to quote, um, cause I thought she put it in such a nice, precise way. Um, Jasmine from the festival on the discord said something in our thread about, and she put it just as emotional abuse is violence full stop. And I think like, as we're all saying here, there's a lot of justifications and buts and ors that get put around it. You're like, well, but this or, but that, but just period emotional abuse is violence. And I think that a lot of audiences for film can get very numbed to a lot of typical horror movies that have physical violence and they're the slasher moments and the gore and we can like go, oh, it's just this. But I don't think people are as used to seeing emotional violence, uh, emotional violence represented on film. So I think it's really important to show because I think a lot more people are seeing themselves in the film than we even expected. which just validates that these kind of stories need to be told. Um, and you mentioned like, what would you say in the lobby trying to get someone to come watch this movie? Um, we found actually it was kind of difficult to describe because when you try to describe the genre, like, yes, it's deeply unsettling and upsetting and 
dramatic in moments, but it's also funny. And like, people are going to laugh and like, people are going to like cheer and there's other emotions that come along with it. So I just told people like, if you want to watch something that's probably going to surprise, you're going to surprise yourself with your own reaction to it. I think it's a good watch. Stephen, what about you? What would your uh, like 30 second uh, film fest pitch be? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I think Sam and Allison definitely covered kind of the thematic aspects of it Uh, as a, you know, movie going experience, I would say, you know, it's got some incredible performances, you know, primarily from Allison. (laughs) Sam (laughs) Sam did a pretty good job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you Thank you. It's, it's very, um, weird in a lot of ways will make you highly uncomfortable. So, you know, that might deter some people, but I think that would attract some people knowing, you know, that, uh, uh, they're going to go into it and, and, you know, feel some feelings that they're not used to perhaps. Um, the, and I would say, you know, the, the score is incredible. The, the, the music Cobain did for us is like just worth listening to in and of itself. Um, and you know, like I said, my brother did some very cool editing in it. I got, you know, there are a few cool shots here and there. Uh, a lot of cool shots. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, so from a cinematic aspect, I'm pretty proud of like just how everything came together. And I think it's like, a, you know, a very watchable indie film. So. Oh, d- definitely agree. Uh, Corey, I know, uh, speaking of some of the cinematic elements, uh, I know with you also being an indie filmmaker that you have some questions about some of, uh, about some of that cinema. So let's, uh, let's ask a couple of those before getting into some of the other questions that, uh, that I've got. Yeah. Let me get my, uh, film nerd, uh, questions out of the way before we really dig into the, the more, uh, <laughs> serious topics of this film. Um, I mean, yeah, I, the film looks great. Uh, you really downplayed yourself there because I, I found myself really kind of like reeling from a lot of those shots and um, especially the choices of color that you uh, that you all decided to use in this film. And, and I have, I obviously have, you know, some type of cliche question here to ask you, but, you know, I felt like, especially some of the near the end, since we're not in the spoiler uh, part yet, and near the end of the film, uh, you know, you, you get a very like, blue wash kind of over that um over a couple of those scenes and in the beginning your lighting feels very motivated and i kind of got kind of like a a blue velvet kind of vibe from a lot of that film um which is i i just rewatched it the other night so that's probably kind of it was kind of hanging on in my mind a little bit too um and in the thematically kind of parallel um and i was going to ask kind of where you're you know as, as a cinematographer and everything like that it's like were you do you lean on a lot of films like to kind of bleed over into your own filmmaking or do you just kind of try and fly in blind and kind of see how everything turns out what what you think looks good and you're you're kind of like man this is we we nailed this yeah yeah i mean uh, there's always uh some borrowing happening to an extent you know yeah you see techniques that work really well and you're like yeah I, I need to incorporate that in my next project uh and then you know sometimes it's the case where uh you'll watch a movie so many times and then it, you just kind of absorb it you know and then you're doing yeah. things consciously uh just because it is now a part of you <laughs> um yeah for uh 
I, and I know I, I talked about this a little bit at, at the festival. Yeah. But the uh, with the Blue Room, um, actually, one other thought occurred to me about the Blue Room and reasons for doing it. I think we kind of established Lily's color scheme is blue, like a lot of wardrobe was blue and, you know, had to do with like the water and the tears motif and all of that. Um, okay. But stylistically, um, one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Mandy. And the use of color in that movie is just so incredible. So I, you know, wanted to allow myself like one <laughs> scene that felt like, you know, it, 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 uh, it could live in, you know, the Mandy universe. So the, 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 the strong, you know, single blue light source, um, filling the whole room. Um, it just, uh, you know, I honestly thought it would look cool and, I'm happy with how it turned out. So yeah. when you, when you use colors like that to such a, you know, to such an extreme that it washes out, you know, a lot of other of uh, tones in the room like that, it really feels like it kind of takes this on its own kind of character, you know, and really motivates the scene kind of to make you feel a little bit more, you know, in, involved, you know, while you're, while you're watching the film, especially with an audience. I mean, you know, I think you guys touched on that, you know, the the atmosphere and everything of watching this movie with an audience felt really good and i think that's one thing that you know i i loved watching this movie because i found myself kind of yelling out or you know laughing <laughs> kind of bursting out at and at the right points i feel like you you all hit that so well and and i mean yeah the the use of color in that really motivated me emotionally a lot uh in some of those scenes especially near near the beginning and near the end, I'm, we're not talking spoilers yet, but you know, near the, near the beginning when they're kind of on that date, um, I felt so the, you know, the, the intense color of that just kind of really bled into me a little bit. And I was like, Oh, I don't like this. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I really, really, really enjoyed that. And, and the, the dynamic between your two characters was just, mm, just a plate of caviar for me. Thank you. And and one of the things that I love so much about that use of color, um, there's so much of it throughout the film, you know, like where you were just saying that, especially the early, uh, early scenes, like it felt like it was so powerful to me. Most of the film felt so subdued in its color, not like a muted, you know, like sepia tone, but it, it didn't feel like there were, you know, like the, the heavy reliance on, you know, like the, the fuchsia and teal type of stuff, but there were very, almost like primal elements. So, you know, like Lily's apartment was very white and, uh, and Tom's house is very dark and Tom's color scheme in his wardrobe is, you know, a lot of grays, but one of the things that I love so much about this film, um, and, and, and this is, um, it, it's going to go from the color into the music while still trying to stay spoiler free. I love how both of those elements escalate throughout the movie. So Tom's wardrobe gets darker as the film goes on. And uh, Lily's wardrobe, I, I feel like it was getting a little bit more colorful or a little bit more patterned, or maybe it was a little bit more bold. I, I can't remember right now because there were too many details that I forgot to write down, but it felt like each of these elements was escalating to the point where I'll come back to this uh, when we get into some of the spoiler territory uh, is, is something specific of how some of those themes kind of blended into each other. But because of that slight and subtle escalation throughout the film, when it did get to that solid blue light, to me, it did not feel out of place. It did not feel like, whoa, wait a second. 
where's the solid blue coming from? It felt like, no, you're on this journey. And now it's hitting this point where everything is so intense and, and it's, you know, it's come to a head and everything is sort of bubbling over at that point. And so for me, like that's one of the most beautiful things about this film is how so many of these little subtle elements escalated it along with that, the music, you know, at the very beginning in that opening scene, you have that tear sucker theme, uh, you know, with that almost, almost like the Halloween or like Jason, like, but then almost kind of like a ticking clock. And like, there's all these little elements that then throughout the rest of the movie, like I said, there's not really that much that is shown graphically. It's all in, in that dread and in, in that tension. And as the movie progresses, it's that musical cue to tie you back into what happened at the beginning that reminds you like, no, this is a fucked up situation. And we're going to remind you of that with such simple and subtle tones. And, and I love it. So can, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like? Um, again, throughout the cinematography, throughout the color scheme, throughout the music, throughout any element that you want to talk about of that gradual escalation um, from, from that opening scene to, to the very end, you know, like how, what was going through your mind as you were trying to figure out how do we present this film without it being overwhelming, without it being, you know, just like blah tension, but also in a way that does escalate the tension as it goes. Well, I will, uh, I will say that Steven and I talked a lot before the movie as the rewrites were happening on the script and, you know, I wanted to, to bring in ideas that he had and, and to, you know, really collaborate on shaping, especially the last final drafts and make sure that it was the movie that we wanted to make, but also that we were on the same page about everything that we had, you know, the same language for references that we knew what the overall kind of feel of it was like, is it going to be visually stylized? And then also to start talking about the details, because to me, the best films are the ones that nail all the little tiny details, because I think even if you're not like a film student, who logs them all, you notice that they're there as a passive observer and you notice if something doesn't track, but you also notice if, like you said, everything collectively is moving in the same direction and all these little elements contribute to the overall feel of a scene or to the trajectory of the overall narrative. Like that's one reason that I love Stanley Kubrick so much uh, is because, you know, obviously he took it to an extreme, but he was all about details and everything in a scene in a scene meant something. And for me, it was important. And, you know, I think to our whole team, it was important that everything on screen and everything you hear means something. Like if there's a piece of music there, it's there for a deliberate reason because it ties into this character and it complements the costumes that are in the scene, which were chosen for like colors that represent mood and who the people are that then kind of morph as they morph throughout the script. And so we actively, when the movie started, were trying to pay attention to as many details as we could so that we could tie them all together like that and make sure that everything felt consistent and motivated and that everything was there for a reason and that all the details were things that we thought about as much as, you know, anyone possibly can as we're going through all the scenes. And, you know, our hope is that by the time you get to the end, you say, Yes, that was like a symphony where each of the little horns and trumpets and, you know, bottom bass lines all contribute to this one thing at the end. But when you're making it, it's so much to keep track of sometimes, especially as like a smaller crew. 
that you, you know, have you a just, wardrobe person. So like yeah, we yeah. just doing all our own wardrobe. Like I picked out my own outfits, like that, those yeah. little things to keep track of was a lot. Yeah. So like, you know, you just hope we're remembering to get everything and that we're nailing it all. And you know, that at the end of the day comes back to working with really talented people that you can trust that know what they're doing. So if we say like, you know, Allison, your colors for Lily are blues and purples. If you want to pick out some things you're comfortable in, and then we'll talk about patterns and things as we go along, but you know, for everybody to understand their characters, be able to pick out some of their own stuff and for it to fit with all the other details that we're doing was awesome. And then, you know, when it comes to the score and Steven, you can jump in if you want to on this, we knew before the movie kind of what we wanted. We talked about other movies we liked and about doing some kind of like modern synth wave type stuff with a darker edge. And, you know, Cobain is so good. He just got it immediately. And I think I'm trying to remember the first time that we heard the tracks, but I think my exact words to Steven were, holy shit, have you heard what Cobain did? And we were just so blown away. Like he understood the movie. He understood the characters. He knew what we wanted. And after that, it was about fine tuning. And, you know, like Steven sent him a lot of notes and I chimed in here and there about things that felt right, things we needed to extend, things we needed to add things to. But he just like, he understood so much what the role of the music he was contributing was supposed to accomplish. And like, just from the gate, we were so blown away by what he did. Yeah, uh, I already said, but yes, the music is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like, it's so incredible. Cobain did an amazing job. I think the only thing that I really gave him heavy notes on was the first piece he gave us, which was uh, for the opening scene. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he had more of like a kind of wind up sound. Uh, and eventually we kind of settled on the more of the, like the ticking clock, which was cool. Um, but uh, one interesting thing about how this movie ultimately got scored is uh cobain he gave us a lot of music but he didn't give us music for the entire movie we basically uh had him do like 10 sections of the movie or like 10 scenes he gave us music for that and then he also delivered all of the stems for all of those tracks so i was able to like kind of deconstruct the complete tracks he gave us and use pieces of his music, like in kind of our empty sections. So I think that I, it was kind of an interesting way to score a movie. Um, but I think for that reason, it does, you, you know, you kind of like hear the same stuff repeated, but like slightly different. And um, I don't know, I'm really happy with that, how, how it all turned out. And uh, you know, again, it's all Cobain just, he killed it with, with everything he gave us. Yeah. At one point there's a, there's a spot where you mixed two of the tracks, right? I don't remember where it is. Yeah. I think there, there might be a couple of spots like that. I don't remember at this point exactly, but um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely some, I, I don't know. I don't know shit about music. Uh, like <laughs> I, I love, I love music, but I do not, I'm not a musician. Don't you know how to play. Job assembling and arranging it for someone that doesn't know. Apparently <laughs> it sounds amazing. I've been editing for a long time. Like I can put music to visuals, but I, yeah, as a, I'm not a composer, I'm not a musician. Um, so, but I, yeah, I, I am blown away and just so impressed by anyone who can, you know, perform at that, at the level that Cobain did. Yeah. Well, it, it um, you know, with what you were just talking about, about, you know, like cutting pieces of it and, and fusing them together, it feels very Peter and the wolf in that aspect, like where each character has their own theme 
And so, you know, like then when, uh, when the two thematic elements are interacting with each other, you've got those two musical themes going together and, and sometimes they, they fit beautifully and, and it feels like, oh, well, maybe he's not such a bad guy. And then other times that juxtaposition makes that, uh, that tearsucker theme feel so much more sinister. You're like, Oh, Oh yeah, no, he is literally the worst. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I love how uh, music was used th- throughout this film. Um, so as we're sitting here talking about how much dread there is and how this movie has just like the worst in Tom, it's also a really funny movie. And, and Allison, you already mentioned that, uh, when, when talking about like, if you just want to feel watch Tearsucker, it has all the feels and, um, with the comedy of this film, this is not a, uh, this, it's not a comedy like this movie. I would never classify it as as a comedy or even a horror comedy. It is just a a very dark drama with some very comedic elements. Uh, and and so first off, I think that you did an amazing job of balancing that. You know, when it comes to to horror or dread or tension or any dark element and humor, it's very easy for someone to get that balance wrong and either go too dark to where the humor feels out of place or too comedic to where the horror or the, or the dread doesn't really land. And I feel like with Tearsucker, the balance is beautiful. Like during the, um, during the screening at chat film fest, there were laughs going straight into, Oh my gods and shrieks. And like all of the emotions were hitting exactly where I felt like they, uh, they were supposed to. But the question that I have with that is, was that an intentional decision to break the tension, like adding in those bits of humor. Was that an intentional one? This is getting just a little bit too dark. We need to bring it back a little bit and kind of give people a chance to rest before we get back into the darkness. Or was it just the fact that you wrote uh, and, and directed and acted very real characters in a very real situation. And sometimes even in dark times, sometimes life is still just funny. Like, was it just the fact that this felt so real that natural humor kind of bubbled up to the surface or was it that very intentional this is dark we need to give people like at least a breather before we get back into it i think we it's a it's a combination of those things really like i realized at some point when i was writing and actually looked up and i found a list somewhere of like the top 10 black comedies or dark comedies that are like aren't comedies but are funny and it's everything from like in bruges to Dr. Strange love to fight club and things where you're like, like you said, it's, it's a drama, but it's funny. And those have always been my favorite movies. And, you know, as a filmmaker, people, especially on the sales and distribution side and everything tend to tell you like, it should be this or this or this or this, but I've been always more interested in those kinds of movies or like David Lynch movies where you're like, I don't, it has all these things and it made me sad, but I also laughed and, those are my favorite kind of movies. So that's what I wanted to do from the outset. That was always a goal. And then I think because some of the things that happen in the movie are so ridiculous, you kind of have to laugh because I don't know as a human, how else you would react to that. And then I think on top of that, like we did sneak humor in both because there were things that were just funny to us, but also because you can't just be on the edge of your seat and be thinking about your own shit and be that tense for an entire movie. You'll, you'll just check out at some point. So it has to be a flex and release, flex and release. And it's something that I think we worked on in the script beforehand. And, 
you know, there were some ideas that we had on set for like, oh, this would be kind of funny if we put that in or like, let's just take this over the top a little bit more while still keeping things as grounded in the real world as we can. But then a lot of it was also, you know, just Eric and Steven working on cuts and working on the pacing and realizing like, okay, this felt like it went on forever. We need to let people shake it off for a second and then grab you again, because if it's just all tension for 94 minutes, I don't think anybody's going to survive to the end and still be as engaged as we want you to be. We want you to get to the end and have the reaction that the audience had at the screening we were at. And it was so gratifying because, you know, we didn't know if any of this was going to work. Like we we hoped it would, but it's been really gratifying, especially with an audience like that, to see the like flex and release and to see people dead silent, not breathing, and then laughing and then yelling at the screen. Like we definitely want all of that. I will say that we've also been surprised by people's reactions at every screening in a good way, but it's just been really hard to Getting anticipate. Laughs in different places and yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, we thought that one was funny, but we forgot about that. That is funny. Like things <laughs> yeah. that there was definitely moments that especially at Chad, because our only other screening was a cast and crew family friends preview. Um, and there's some sort of laughing that you're like, well, is that just laughing? Cause they know us and it's Sam and I, and they're laughing at watching us do this thing. Um, so it was really gratifying specifically at chat to see with strangers that those same things got laughs and things were hit in that kind of way. And there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff that like we shoved in there that we thought, I don't know if anybody's going to notice this moment. And I have one in particular that I'm thinking of. I don't know if I should, Spoil it or not. I mean, two, two that I'm thinking of. Yeah, that one, but also uh, the dog um, that we that we thought that's funny. And we added an extra layer to it. And we thought if somebody gets this awesome and if they don't, that's fine. But, you know, thus far, the fact that people have been hit by those moments is as gratifying to me as when they're hit by the dramatic, heavy stuff, because I think they're equally important for the overall success of the viewing experience. Yeah, uh, Corey, you were about to say something. I, I have a response to to that, but Corey, you were about to say something a second ago. Yeah, I was just going to say how, like, uh, one thing that, you know, you, you talk about the ebb and flow of, you know, kind of bits of comedy and intentional or intentional versus, you know, kind of relieving moments so that you're not kind of just powering through this really emotional uh, uh, film uh, was definitely, like, the character of Deb and how the kind of the cutbacks between her and and what uh lily was going through kind of it was that that like the the crest over the roller coaster you know of like oh you know like oh we get some dead moments here you know release some tension and (laughs) yes the caring friend of the world um those those really hit me good um i think probably my the the biggest kind of nathan was sitting right next to me i exploded when uh sam's on the toilet and I was just like, ah, oh my god! <laughs> like it was, it was a, it was a, a definitely a deep laugh into like, oh, oh, oh no! <laughs> it, it was one moments of those like that really hit well. Yeah, you know, it was one I of those really uncomfortable laughs. Like, where, yeah, like yeah, you, sure. you have to laugh because just like, oh my god, this is so awkward. Yeah, the uh, yeah. the the two that stick out the most to me, and um, th- there's enough context without it spoiling. The two that stick out the most to me were the um, uh, when Lily is cleaning the countertops and also <laughs> Lily's gasps going into Deb's gasp. I, yeah. I love that one so much be, because, again, of the timing, because both of those, the two of the funniest parts of the movie 
are right in the middle of some pretty dark stuff like mm-hmm. Lily cleaning the countertop is right after you realize like, oh, oh, this is very bad for Tom. And then Lily's gasps into Deb's gasp. It's just like you you know what's coming next because of everything that's led up to that. You know what's about to happen. And I, I, I can speak for just the tone of the audience during that. There was so much just like, no, no, like everyone <laughs> felt that fear and that dread of just like, Lily, what are you doing? No. And and yeah. then Deb's gasp, think- and it just broke the tension so perfectly because of then where you go next. So so again, that that balance is just impeccable. Corey, go ahead. Um, I think I literally like someone right behind us. I literally think I heard them just be like, "Oh fuck, no!" <laughs> like be, like vocalizing like full yeah. a full sentence of just disappointment. <laughs> no, there there are a few things more gratifying <laughs> as a filmmaker than to hear somebody in the audience loudly under their breath go. Oh fuck! <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the gasp transition that was definitely written in the, into the script. Sam definitely wrote that into the script. I remember the uh, the squirt transition. I don't think was quite like written, but it was like it was there. You know, it was like such it low fruit. <laughs> and Sam and I both came to set and with the same idea. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, okay, we got it. We yeah, we got to do it. And uh, you know, just to, again, you know coming after such a dark sequence it's just like it, it is a very sudden shift but i feel like a much needed one yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely well with all of this humor with all this dread with that back and forth of the darkness and and the light um you know the the ability to really sell all of that really comes down to the quality of the acting and and with such a small cast you know like any weak link would have been like just abundantly apparent uh, and so first of all there was no weak link. I think the acting was solid throughout. Even Deb's husband, just you know, like playing video games, just like, uh, all right, well, I guess, I guess let's go. Like he played that role so perfectly, and it's just like, yep, yeah. I I know that dude. <laughs> he is. He's so like everyone in this movie, I feel like nailed their roles in in such a genuine and convincing way. Um, but since you know Sam and Allison, since the two of you are the only two here tonight that we're able to uh, directly talk about. I want to uh, to ask each of you how you approach the role, and I have very specific questions regarding that. So, Allison, there's a lot of vulnerability in Lily's character. And one of the things that I find so amazing about this movie is that you can very clearly see her history of trauma, but she's never really presented as weak or broken. You know, and I think that's a testament to not only the writing, but also in your acting and your ability to present such a real character. Now, I I saw in one of your interviews that you don't like bringing in any of your actual history into the roles that you play. And so I I just I just have to know because you bring so much damn emotion into this character and it feels so true. Like, how did you approach a role like this where there is such a history of trauma that is so integral to the character without there being any of that any of that bleed over between you know real life and uh and and the character like how how did you keep those separate because again you fucking nailed this role like it's not just kind of like oh you were good no the the tears were heartfelt also so much snot 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much. I know it's real. Yeah. I'm a snotter. I'm a snotter. So it's, um, and every time that you sniffed it back up, it's just like, oh. Yep. <laughs> Authentic. Joke, that's like how you know it's real tears when there's snot. Um, yep. Yeah. Method acting right there. Yeah. Um, my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you like for the kind words. That was very lovely of you to say. Um, I, um, as far as like how I keep things separate, um, yeah, I just found that, um, you know, I've gone through different acting programs and I went to college for acting and they teach you different methods. And some methods really ask you to rely on your own personal experiences. And some of, for me, the worst things I've been through in my life happened while I was in college in these programs. And a lot of teachers, I'd say, I don't want to say preyed upon because that sounds like it's intentional. I think for them, it was just the way they knew to teach, but really pushed like to use those things in my work and in classes, trying to figure that out. I found it was very painful. It didn't feel safe. It felt like there was no boundaries. It felt like I was using emotions that were very fresh to me in a way that was almost exploiting my own mental health. And so I just decided I'm not doing that anymore. And I was going to figure out a new way to do it. Um, And so when I work, I first just start by going through and just really trying to understand, and you mentioned you work in psychology, but the psychology of a character, um, building a backstory. Um, I think I mentioned this in the other Q&A, but Sam and Steven gave me a lot of liberty with the vlog monologue. Um, they gave me kind of an outline of that and some points I needed to hit, but said I could do what I wanted with the rest of it. So I actually went through and journaled you know, as Lily, trying to build out what her backstory really was. Um, and uh, worked actually with, um, my real life therapist, uh, Laura, who is amazing, um, who works with, um, somatic modalities, which is typically releasing trauma through the body, um, physical places that you hold, um, tension or emotions. Um, but you know, my real life stuff is very different than Lily's. So I was asking her a lot of questions about how would trauma and PTSD and some of these things manifest in someone who has been through things that are so different than what I've gone through. Um, and she was really helpful. Um, again, I don't think she'd ever done anything like this before. She was a little bit confused when I first asked her to sit down with me and obviously couldn't share any real client information. Um, but that, you know, interviewing her was really helpful. And then I think as far as how, how I get there emotionally without using anything real for me, um, I think the easiest way to describe it is really just using empathy in my acting. Like I really try to think about that this isn't just a made up character on a page in a script. Like this is a real person somewhere because in this, unfortunately in this world, there are people who have, maybe they haven't had a man trying to suck their tear ducts, but they have, there are real people who have gone through the things that Lily's gone through. And I think some of them will watch this movie and I hope they will. Um, But I, I know that if I really think about it that way, it's really easy for the emotion to come for me easy isn't the right word, but it just, it comes naturally because putting myself in the shoes of someone that this could have really been their story. Um, it just really like hits my soul in a deep place that that emotion just feels like, how could you not, <laughs> you know, like, how could you not have those emotions come out when you think about this, that this is a real person. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, that makes, makes complete sense. sense. And, and, and again, okay. like it is so tragic that it is, so real and i can't remember if this is a question that i actually wrote down or if it's just one of the ones that i was thinking like this movie feels again i i'm going to keep saying this word because it's one of the best ways to describe it it feels so genuine despite the outlandishness of you know the the, the tear sucking 
the the manipulation and the um the the, the gaslighting and the emotional control like so much of this it feels so real in such an uncomfortable way and again to me that's where so much of the power of this movie comes from uh so speaking of that emotional manipulation sam yes (laughs) you ran i did so when i should have answered it more like yes (laughs) so so i met you at chat film fest uh and and you know we had a few conversations over the uh over the course of the weekend and you seem like such a like nice kind person (laughs) thank you (laughs) i i really hope so because you you seem like you seem like a very nice person but even with meeting you after watching it in person, uh, you know, I, I watched it again uh, during the virtual portion because, yes, I did love the movie so much that uh, even after seeing it in person, I wanted to see it again while it was still uh, available virtual. When I watched it for the second time and the first scene where you're interacting with Allison, like the, the initial scene with, uh, oh, shit, what was uh, that character's name? Um, Jenny. 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 Yes. Yeah, okay. played, by Al- played by Emily Yetter. Uh, yeah, so your interaction with her, like, that's very clearly like, okay, you're a gaslighting asshole. Uh, but the, the first scene with Lily, you, you come across so creepy and so, so just like, oh, mm, even after meeting you, <laughs> when it got to that scene where you're like, hi, can, can I sit down? I, I, I literally said out loud, Oh, fuck you, Tom. <laughs> so uh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, first off, like just how did you approach that role? And also what was it like to play someone so toxic that I hope is like the furthest thing from who you are as a real person? Uh, yes, I am not a complete psycho in real life. So that is all fictional and very, very <laughs> different from me. Uh, I think, you know, not to, not to get like too philosophical about it, but you know, nobody would know what darkness is without light. Like you, you have to kind of have one to understand the other. And so like, I think that people who in real life are people who live without empathy that don't understand what other people feel like that if someone gets hurt, it just doesn't affect them at all. Like they don't know that there's another side to it. They just kind of just think like, this is what it is. Unless they become obsessed with wanting to feel things that they don't, which some people do, which is Tom, for example. But like, for me, I feel things from other people really strongly. Like I have a hard time watching movies where animals get hurt because it's like too upsetting for me. I'm a very empathetic person. And I think that was really helpful in being able to play a role where a guy doesn't feel anything because I know, I know like where I am on one far end of it. And so when I was kind of choreographing the character, I know I just need to go to the complete opposite side and turn off all of that, turn off, any kind of feelings of compassion, any feelings of empathy. Um, And I think that was like the immediate, the immediate like starting place for Tom. And then after that, it was a matter of working in like more of his specific motivations and his backstory and things that he's been through and where he's at when the story starts, because I felt like that was important to show is how he's kind of progressed to get where he is with with Lily, because that in large part defines 
the choices that he makes with her and you know why she's so special to him because of all the things he's been through before so i was trying to get all that out as well as to stay to that far other side of the spectrum and for me playing the character it i just every day had to remind myself that you don't feel anything everything that he does is is an act he's constantly studying he's he's basically mimicking what he's seeing and he's doing the things that he thinks that normal people do in these situations so i really tried to internalize that i was tom acting as another person like i'm not just sam acting as tom i am tom acting as a version of tom who is not the tear sucker so when i was him you know normally you try not to do that but i felt like it was important for him to feel the right way to give you the the real creeps that you had to feel like he was putting on an act for everyone but in a way that was believable and that wasn't like you know on on shows where people are like doing the bad actor version of acting i i wanted to try and make it feel as authentic to that character as possible and you know steven was a big help in that where i could always trust that he would say all right that felt good or dial it back or if i could check with him like how something landed he's a really good touchstone for all of that so you know like allison i just kind of did my homework beforehand i knew where i wanted to start i knew how where he was in each of the scenes then when we were filming i just kind of relied on steven to make sure that it didn't seem like he was feeling too much or that he was acting too much yeah and 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 again your balance with that is is great because like you said there's a lot of movies that have the person like overacting or acting bad or like acting like the evil version of whatever and mm-hmm. and, and again maybe it's just because of you know the the counseling that i've done with people maybe it's because of you know like i, I used to do uh, marriage counseling i used to do substance abuse counseling so maybe it's just because of my different experiences with that but in every single scene where you're playing nice where you're tom playing a version of tom like I kept thinking, how could anyone see this and not realize that he is an asshole? But it's because it's being played so well and because we as audience get to see the other side of it. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like that again, like that's why this movie works so well is you're not instantly creepy. You're creepy to the audience, but mm-hmm. you're not that creepy to Allison. You're a little creepy, but still. Yeah. And I think that was, that was something that we talked about a lot is, making sure that it's that it's believable for lily and that was the most important thing because the audience has perspective that lily doesn't have we wanted it to be believable for lily and you know you reference therapy after being around a lot of projects involved with therapy and trauma victims and some other things that i've uh that i've been fortunate enough to work on you know not seeing red flags and being convinced that that you are not seeing the things that you're seeing or that you're seeing things that you're not seeing. Like those are all important elements of gaslighting that abusers use as primary tools. So I wanted to, to make sure that the interaction between those two characters felt realistic for her world. You know, like if you're not, if you're not one of them from the outside, obviously like you would see things are going on like Deb does, but I just really wanted to make sure that it felt realistic from Lily's perspective and that Tom felt like a real person in that dynamic as much as possible. I just want to add, 
But, but I think it's interesting. You said like the audience gets to see this other part of Tom. Um, and when I first got this script, you know, I, there is the, you know, real life Allison is like, fuck this guy. What the fuck? I would never <laughs> say yes to this date with this guy. And it's really easy to like almost judge the character as an actor sometimes when you first get the script. And it was really important to me to figure out. And I think Sam's performance helped so much that you weren't overtly um, creepy in, when, on a, in our one-on-one scenes. If you cut out all the creepiness in the movie, which I actually did for my script because I knew I, I have to play this like I'm in a, a romantic drama for the first half of the movie. I like literally cut out pages of the script once I'd read it all the way through because I was like, I don't need to see, I don't want to put any spoilers in, but like Tom and his house being creepy alone, or it's going to be really hard for me to play this, like I'm falling in love with him. And so um, trying to figure out, you know, why does she ignore these red flags? And that was really the biggest thing I talked to, I interviewed the therapist about was like, how do you not see it? And I think um, it, it ended up in the monologue, but there was this line about Um, you know, it being warped from the inside, you know, when you had this kind of trauma, when you've been so um, that kind of slow torture of gaslighting and manipulation in your last relationship, you know, the first nice person you meet, it's really easy to glom on and have those rose colored glasses and only see the good in someone and ignore the things because you're just so desperate for human connection, you know? So um, it was really important for me to understand that so that I could take away any judgment I had about her choices and really understand why she was, you know, continuing on this path with him, even though the audience is like, no, Lily, no, don't do it. You know, because I think we've all seen movies where you think like, oh, man, that girl wouldn't really walk in that door. Why, why would she do that? Um, so I think Sam's performance helped a lot. And that in those scenes, I, I did feel like he was just flirting with me and being sweet in a lot of those moments. So. Yeah. And, and with some of that realism, someone who had been through what Lee had, what Lily had been through probably wouldn't be like oh here's some major red flags and and so the fact that the fact that you aren't playing what you allison the person read in the script like again that gave it some of that realism because i realistically lily wouldn't have seen some of it because of those experiences because oh this person's nice and and not doing things from the past relationship this is awesome so, so again, a, a lot of realism with that. Uh, and I'm glad yeah, that you mentioned. I will, I will, so, I will jump in and I'll add, mm-hmm. add, I think, two quick things to that, which were, you know, for Tom, it was really important to get in there as fast as possible because he recognizes everything that you guys just said. And he wants to be the first person in there after her being alone and isolated from so long. And I think the other important element to him and to the story is her isolation. Because I think if she wasn't completely alone so much, I mean, even her best friend is a virtual relationship when her best friend is, you know, like available for moments here. So she's completely alone all the time. And, you know, like we've all been in situations where you just, you just need human contact, especially coming out of the pandemic. You just need somebody to talk to you. And if you're in a darker place than that, you just need somebody to validate you as a human being, as someone who's alive. And then on top of that, if they show you any kind of affection or emotion or anything like that, while you're still in this vulnerable state, that's thirsting for that, then you know, all of the abusers or, you know, in Tom's case, the the manipulators or whatever you want to call him, then everything just works because it's, it's a combination of timing and perspective 
and where you just came from, you know, if he, he didn't pick her by accident. Like he has a very extensive list of things he's looking for and isolation, history of trauma, you know, still wide open scars. Like these are all places that he can step into and everything he's doing will work with other people, which he has tried before. Uh, you know, one of those elements wasn't present or it wasn't in the right form. So things fell apart or he didn't get what he needed or just, you know, which is why Lily is such a lottery ticket to him. Terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. Uh, So Allison, when you mentioned, (laughs) when, when you mentioned that, you know, like you were approaching this for more of like the romantic drama, uh, I actually have a question uh, for you, Stephen, from a directing standpoint, um, you know, at, at times it almost felt like Allison was uh, in a romantic comedy and Sam was in a serial killer movie. So <laughs> when you were directing this movie and, and again, overall, I, I, I love this movie and I think that it really works uh, and and it didn't feel like there was any breaking in in tone to where it didn't feel like a cohesive movie. But just from the way that you approached it, at times it really did feel like two different movies that were interacting with each other. So from a directing standpoint, were you approaching it from the audience perspective of, okay, I know everything that the audience knows and I'm, I'm uh, directing Lily's scenes knowing that, that Tom is an asshole or were you trying to keep them a little bit more separate and approach them uh, approach the scenes from the standpoint of the characters. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think more so uh, approaching each scene from the perspective of each individual character, uh, but also, you know, holding the knowledge of like how they're going to be uh, juxtaposed in the edit and, you know, how one, the, the audience's perception of one is going to affect the other. But, you know, definitely like when Tom's in his house doing his, weird tom stuff he, that you know we're in tom's world right like the it's it's dark the lighting's very dark it's dirty it's dingy like you feel what it's like to be you know in that room with him and to some extent to feel what it's like to be in his mind a little bit and so you know and then with lily you know kind of trying to do the same thing um <clears throat> we talked about you know how uh the walls in her apartment are very, everything is very white. She was in a very, the place we shot in was a tiny little space, you know, supposed to feel very confined, very claustrophobic. Um, so, you know, getting into her headspace during both those moments when she's alone. And then yes, also her, you know, early interactions with Tom. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's interesting when they come together and then it's like, okay, whose side are we, whose perspective are we seeing things from? Um, and some, I think sometimes, you know, we bounce back and forth a little bit or, you know, when Lily exits the scene, okay, now we're back in Tom's world. The shots change a little bit. Things get a little weird, you know? So, uh, I, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, uh, uh, thing to tackle when you're kind of telling the story from two characters perspectives who have a completely different idea of what's going on. Um, but it's a fun challenge. I, I have something to add on to the end of that as well, uh, because it's very interesting to me about how you kind of tackle those um, 
directing, you know, kind of standpoints from each character like that. And, and, you know, as, as Allison and Sam have talked about their characters individually, they seem to have, you know, this full 360 degree grasp of both of the psyches of their characters, like the physical traits, all of that stuff, how, you know, once you called cut, you know, and you had notes, you know, was that more of like a, uh, two-way, dis- I mean, you know, obviously it's always a two-way discussion between the actor and the director, but was that, you know, were you more listening to feedback from them to make sure that you were kind of getting what you all wanted in the next take, or was it more of like a, here's kind of like what I noticed from the outside looking in, you know, or was it kind of more vice versa with that? Yeah, well, when you work with good actors like Sam, <laughs> Allison, and Danielle, and Matt, and Emily, uh, you know, they they bring 90, 95% of it, right, to set. They've done their homework. They've done their research. They know their characters. They've made the choices. You know, I uh, they've run the lines, auditioned the scene, or uh, rehearsed the scenes. Um, so, like, you know, and especially, you know, when you're moving as fast as we did on an indie production, like, everyone's got to be ready and on top of their stuff. So, um, yeah, our actors all came, you know, with everything fully prepared, you know, we ran the scenes and then, you know, it's just my job to like, you know, finesse it a little bit, just like massage it in the right way. Like if something's not quite landing right, if I'm like, ah, I don't know. I think, I think Lily would probably see through Tom if he was like putting that much on it, you know, it's just like reeling it back a little bit, but yeah, I mean, you just work with, talented actors and 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 make sure everything's reading correctly and i think uh you know that's always one of uh uh i direct and uh dp simultaneously um fairly often and that's always one of my biggest challenges is like trying to focus on both things simultaneously and making sure that i am paying attention because i'm you know i'm very interested in camera and lenses and lighting but it's like, okay, you got to focus on the performance you're directing this movie. So, you know, make sure everything's lining up. So it's definitely a big challenge for me. And again, a big part of how I get around that is just making sure I'm working with good people who are going to, you know, bring what they need to, to set. And they definitely brought it. All right. So that's all that I can think of that I want to ask uh, on on the spoiler free questions. So before we start uh, diving into things, uh, unfortunately, Stephen did have to uh, to step out because, well, we've already been podcasting for an hour. Uh, so Stephen, once again, thank you so, so very much for joining us and uh, for giving your insight into this film. We, we think that you did an amazing job and I cannot wait to see uh, to see what you have coming next. All right. So from here on out, spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you're still listening to this, there's going to be spoilers. If you do not want spoilers, stop listening right now. This is a full episode's worth of content that we've already given you. Go watch Tearsucker, uh, available anywhere that you can rent movies, and then come back and listen to us uh, dive into it a little bit more. Um, or if you just don't care about spoilers, then then feel free to stick around. But from here on out, the questions and, and the answers, eh, there, there, there might be things that directly address the very end of the movie all right so um so at, at the very beginning of the movie tom starts out with that you know me you know i would never hurt you you know my heart you're being over dramatic that is such clearly like just gaslighting asshole language and and again it, it, that opening scene 
I get so angry at not because it's not well done, but because of I know that person and they're an asshole. But I feel like that scene is is vital because it tells you the kind of person that Tom is. And and, and like I said, uh, sort of at the top of this episode, there's nothing too graphic that's, that, that's actually shown in this. It's all about that dread. It's all about that anxiety that that, uh, that this movie elicits. And I think that it's so important to start with the scene because, again, it sets that stage for the character and the tone for the rest of the movie. And something that makes this so powerful is the fact that Tom invests time in a relationship, quote unquote, to manipulate those emotions when he very easily could have just assaulted people and made them cry through physical pain. Now, I have my theories as to why some of it based off of conversations that we've had, some of it just based off of my over analysis of movies. But I want to ask you, why have Tom go through that process of establishing a relationship rather than being more of like that serial rapist type of character. Like why put in that time and the effort if he doesn't feel anything, if he doesn't want anything, if it's just about the tears, why emotional tears rather than physical pain tears? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's because with Tom, emotions are, are what he doesn't have and what he's most envious of is the ability to feel things. And, you know, yes, like pain is an emotion and a lot of abusers, like their whole thing is control and inflicting pain and all of that stuff. But for Tom, you know, and I think this is where the, the Android obsession or Android angle comes in is that he's a human in so many ways. He shares the same experience with people all around him every day but there's a thing that's missing where like, he doesn't feel joy from things. He doesn't feel sadness from things. He just doesn't feel anything. And so I think his fascination obsession with other people's emotions has become, has become what he does because that's, that's the thing that he's missing. So he's, he's trying to fill a hole in the same way that other people fill that like hole inside of them. But for him, it's so cavernous and he settled on the idea that the, the tears are the one thing that can help him. And, you know, he's probably tried pain tears at some point and it just didn't work. It didn't do anything because the pain tears can come from a lot of different places. I think if it was pain tears that came from like, you know, true sorrow, that would be one thing, but like reactionary ouch, that hurts tears you know, that's more of like a physical response. The emotion isn't present in the same way as like my best friend just died tears like that, but like deep felt sorrow. And like, that's what he wants. He doesn't, he doesn't just want to understand it. He wants to feel it. So I think that's why he's, he's developed into going through the relationship route because he's realized that if he tries to short, if he tries to short the process and go like, all right, immediate gratification, it's not going to have the same result for him. And as he's kind of, I think, played the long game more and more, he's realized he can get more genuine emotions, more deeper emotions, more like true heart wrenching stuff coming out of these people that he's going after if they really develop an attachment and he learns their triggers and he's able to like truly, you know, either crush them emotionally or disappoint them or like, you know, 
with with Emily's character Jenny, he clocks right away that she has a fear of abandonment. That's like her deep seated issue. So as soon as he grabs onto that, he knows I can get like the deepest parts of her soul coming out through her eyes by by pushing that abandonment trigger. And I just I think over however long he's been doing this, he has learned quickly that that is much better than the alternative of like, you know, just burning someone's arm or something and making them cry because that's more like reactionary tears. Like I said, it doesn't have that emotional content. And I think it could also be a little bit like when people start going down the hard drugs path, you realize you need to get more hardcore and more hardcore as you go along because you kind of build up a tolerance. So it's possible that when he first started the process, any sort of little glimmer of emotion where he could sort of, you know, take it from people, maybe he was getting little bits of it, but then as he went along, no, it has to be harder and deeper and more like fundamental core emotions for him to think that what he's doing is effective. And, you know, again, this is him saying that this is effective for him in whatever way that it's effective. It's interesting. I, I was trying to remember, Sam, I remember we talked about it at the time, um, but there was this article when I was researching stuff that I found in Time Magazine um, that was about the science of tears and how it's actually like one of a human function that has been researched and studied very uh, very minimally um, as far as like why we really cry and like what the purpose of it is just biologically. Um, obviously there's the the emotional release um, and there's some sort of chemical release, but, um, but I, I can't remember and I want to go back and look at it, but I do remember there was something really interesting about um, tears from pain or um, if like you get something in your eye and your eye waters, things like that they actually have found it's chemically different than a tear that comes from emotion. And I remember thinking about it because it made sense to me. Um, some, someone had asked us in one of these interviews, if uh, we use any tear stick and I hate tear stick because it just makes my eyes sting and I can't think, and it's hard to do anything. But to me, it also just kind of makes like everything, like it's this like flat, weird tear. It doesn't get like the rolling drop, right? It's just a different thing. And so I was looking at this and it was explaining that. And I'm like, Oh, that would make sense. If like, your eyes are irritated with a tear stick. It's not emotion, right? So you're not getting that same thing. And I don't know, obviously it's not quite what your question was, but I'd be really interested because you have a psychology background. Like if you know anything about the science of tears, because as much as I looked into it, I couldn't really find anything that explained, you know, why, why do humans cry when we feel sad? I think you, you bring up a good point though. And I've always been fascinated by this stuff. And it's probably part of where the script came from, which is, emotions are an abstract concept. Like we have a word that we use in like descriptors for feeling things, but you know, emotions are abstract. Like a tear is a physical thing. So somehow this like abstract idea of something that we call sorrow or joy or something has a connection to a, a physical thing like tears or like blushing. And it's, it's just the kind of stuff that we're all accustomed to. But if you really think about it, it's That's kind of bizarre and it's, it's totally fascinating that you can have those two things connect and they're somehow related. And like, we don't totally understand why, but we've all accepted it's a thing. So, you know, maybe, maybe Tom's on to something. He wants that juicy <laughs> emotional tear, not the irritated eye tear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise he could just flick like mace in people's eyes. <laughs> well, we actually, that's, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because at one point in the process somewhere, 
somebody, somebody said, well, why doesn't he just mace her in the first scene to get the tears? Cause she's got the mace. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, it has to be genuine, emotional, deep, hardcore tears for him. Just moisture coming out of your eyes doesn't do anything. You know, he has that whole speech at the end about how all the whole list of everything that he's tried that do nothing for him. This is the one thing that like seems to do something. So I just thought like, no, it can't be, can't be any of that. It can't be chemical. It can't be um, pain. Like it has to be deep seated uh, core emotions. Yeah. So uh, Allison, to, to your question, I don't know enough about the science of tears to know like why or, or how. Um, but what I do know, what I do know is my take on why the emotional tears and why, again, why this movie hit so hard for me and why I love it so much. If he was someone who was physically assaulting people, if he was macing the women to get the tears, if he was clearly hurting women, then everyone would latch on to just like, oh, well, yeah, he is obviously a monster. He's doing these terrible things. But there are far too many people, far too many people in in this world that consider themselves the nice guy who like they're like oh i would never hurt you which again why tom your opening lines of you know me you know i would never hurt you you're being overly dramatic it's like yeah i've heard that from so many toxic assholes like the the, the guys who are just outright assholes everyone knows that like you're just like yeah they're, they're an asshole but it's the ones that are like you know the the nice guys i would never do that there, there's something almost in the uh, in in the persona that they want to present, or in the um, in 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 the perceived power that they have with just like, oh, I can make you think that I'm doing this when really I'm doing this. And so for me, it was that is part of what again made this movie hit so hard, and and why I'm glad you know even though Tom has that little bit about like, oh, you know, I'm I'm an android and this tattoo is my birthmark and all this other stuff. I'm glad that you don't lean more into that. I'm glad that this does not present as like a demon or an alien or an Android. Even though I I told you this uh, at the film fest, I think this movie would uh, make for an amazing double billing with under the skin. Like I, I think that those two movies would pair perfectly with each other, but I'm so, so glad that you don't give an explanation. Like there's justification or, you know, enough stuff there to where Tom could be an android he could be an alien he could be some sort of demon maybe or he could just be a dude and just be an asshole right and that's the most horrifying parts of the script is um in the blue room but when he comes in and he starts comparing himself to her ex and he's like oh he was horrible i would never do those things to you and also like even when he's you know says are you ready for round two and you know it's like oh i'm not sympathetic rapist like i don't want that it's like he still thinks he's the good. Like he really, I think, believes he's the good guy. Like, oh, this guy beat you with a shoe. All I'm doing is licking your face, <laughs> you know, which is so laughable. But like, truly, if you think about it, like, I think he thinks it's not that bad. And that's what's horrifying. And that's yeah, like you said, there are so many guys out in this world who, you know, will justify their actions by like, well, I didn't do this thing. Right. I, I never crazy. actually hit her. I never yeah. I never raped her. So maybe she cried a couple of times, but yeah, like that stuff. Cause, cause again, anyone I feel like could have made 
a a serial rapist movie. Anyone could have made a physical abuser movie. Anyone could have made a, a movie that does tap in to equally as serious themes that everyone can get on board with with the yeah of course that's terrible you know like even though uh this the subgenre is not for everyone there's a reason that people still latch on to rape revenge films and it's because it's because of that release when the revenge comes of just that cathartic thank god the rapist got theirs you know but those are so what's what i'm looking for um they're so visceral in in what they show and so with such a violent physical act the movie needs that violent physical act to give any sort of counterbalance to make you feel like the world isn't all doom and gloom Uh but with tearsucker it's all on the emotional side and so anyone saying oh well at least he never raped you it's like motherfucker do you not see what this is doing to lily like Uh it is destroying her and and uh, Allison, like you said, emotional abuse is physical abuse. Full stop. Yep. Like physical tears and emotional tears might be different kinds of tears, but one isn't worse than the other. And and again, God, that's why this movie I I feel like is as powerful as it is. And again, why I'm glad that you didn't make it clear he's a robot because if he's a robot it's easy enough to justify. Oh, well, no dude is actually like that. That's just a robot. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just an alien. He's just feeding off the tears. It's like, no, this is just a guy being a fucking douche. And, mm-hmm. and that's the worst. Yeah. I think- always took it more like, you know, do, is he, or does he just think he is like, does he have this weird obsession? Like, is he blaming it on this, you know? And, it's funny. I even during filming, I kind of asked Sam more about it. And he's like, we'll talk about it after filming. Cause you don't need, like, <laughs> and it's interesting. It's like, you're right. Lily is not supposed to know any of this, you know, but I don't know that you even had decided, you know, what you're in. Mean, I know I'm sure you had made a decision personally, but I think we like, we liked wanted to keep it open-ended. And I think it really did get kept open and, and get kept open-ended. That's not a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I love sci-fi and there was other earlier versions of the script where it, Tom's character was largely the same, but there were other kind of like, it, we're in a slightly alternate version of the future things happening that I think maybe would have made his, his character definition a little bit more murky. And part of the reason that we took all that away is because like you said, I didn't want to let people off the hook with him. And I didn't want to let the guys that exist in the world that are able to keep someone prisoner in a relationship for years and years and years. I didn't want to let them off the hook because those guys, like you said, actually exist. They, you know, get better over time. They find someone or they develop a relationship with someone where there's trust and then they start messing with their head and they, you know, push their triggers and they wrap them around their finger and they do it in a way where a lot of times the person who's, who's being victimized, who's being abused feels like it's their fault or they've done something or they feel dumb because of it or whatever it is. And that's another thing these guys are so good at. And because those guys exist, I wanted, I did not want to let them off the hook. So I tried to keep him in the real world as much as possible and bring him closer to that as like, yeah, this is a guy who, you know, maybe he believes as a way of explaining who he is, 
he believes that he's this other thing because how could a person go through life and like not be a person, you know, but there are people in our world that are like that. Like I was reading about the, the guy who got convicted or not convicted, the guy who's on trial for that awful series of murders at the, at the house in Idaho. You know, it's just, even the cops were like, this was horrific. And it turns out that in his past, he was messing with a friend of his where he would like go into her house and move things around and then leave just to mess with her head. And he was also like secretly watching her. And it was a way of, you know, gaslighting her and emotionally. And like, this is a real person that existed in the world. And, you know, I think Tom's character is definitely a composite of all of those kind of people. And I definitely wanted him to represent like that guy. Cause that guy does exist for sure. As we were talking to people about this movie, actually, even at the film festival, um, the amount of people I talked to who gave me really specific real life examples of gaslighting that weren't just like, Oh, I wouldn't hurt you, but like really awful things messing with people's heads to prime them for later, you know, being able to emotionally abuse them further. But actually at the boat party, I randomly sat down with this group of people. We started talking. I gave them a brief synopsis of the movie. And this girl just told me this crazy, you know, long story. Oh, yeah, about that was, that was wild. Yeah. One of the things was, I mean, this guy literally, they were married at this point, had taken her purse and hidden it. She found it later and said to her when she asked where it was, well, you threw it out the window. Don't you remember? And she's like, no. No, no, I didn't do that. And he was like, yes, you did. I'm like worried about you that you don't remember that. Like, it's concerning to me that you don't remember doing that. Like, do we need to get you some help? Like truly like changing the way she could see the world by making her feel crazy, yeah. which then obviously escalated and the story got worse from there. But multiple people that I talked to had specific examples like this, which to me, like what could be more horrifying like than someone changing the way you can see the world around you? And, mm-hmm. I, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about maybe these aren't typical horror things, but to me, it's torture. It's absolutely, tor- absolutely torture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, especially with all that gaslighting, especially, you know, uh, I, I forget which one of you uh, specifically brought it up, but the, the scene in the blue room, where uh where thomas like oh you know your ex was a monster i'm not like him and it's like this is the scene immediately after you basically raping at at the very least like it transitioning from consensual sex into immediate regret and emotional abuse which is still rape and like there's so much about what what's going on in that scene that it's just like th- there wasn't a long span between these two. It is immediate. I would never do that here. Let me show you this video of you weeping and tell you why you're so wrong. And I'm, I'm not a monster, but let me tell you why, you know, maybe if you had been more caring, he, he wouldn't have abused you. Like there's so much in that scene that again is, is so powerful. And, and uh, Sam, as you were talking about uh, some of the motivations and some of the, like not wanting to let him off the hook, I started thinking about another movie that would make for a great double billing, but on a completely uh, different spectrum, uh, Tearsucker would pair great with Maniac, but yeah. it would pair so great because of just the extreme ends of the spectrum and how uh, in Maniac, he's a tragic character. 
you know, uh, the, the first time that I saw Maniac was actually at the Knoxville Horror Film Festival and uh, Joe Gavargazian introed it and she talked about how it was kind of like watching a Universal Monsters movie where he is a tragic, sympathetic character. And, and she put the movie in a completely different light for me and watching it that way. It's like, yeah, he's doing horrible things, but, but you can see the tragedy in his life and you can see the sympathy. The reason that I think that it would make for such an interesting double billing with Tearsucker is I don't feel like Tom is a tragic character. I don't feel, and, and maybe I'm being too harsh or maybe I'm being not harsh enough. I don't feel like Tom deserves that sympathy. So like even with as terrible things as um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank of the uh, guy that played the main character in maniac, even the terrible things that that character did in the movie, there's still sympathy because of how extreme it goes. And there's some definite warped perspective in the way that he views the world. But with Tom, it feels so calculated and manipulative and controlled that it's just like, you don't deserve sympathy because you know damn well what you're doing. And yeah, Corey, you, you look like you're about to say something. Yeah. I I wanted to circle back a little bit. Uh, I I didn't want to interrupt. Um, I think one of the things that makes that opening scene work really well is that the fact that we kind of get the curtain pulled back immediately on, on this guy, like we get a beat on him immediately and we, and we follow him through, you know, kind of his journey in a way parallel to Lily's. And I think that just it makes my skin crawl that much more because with a lot of kind of these, you know, you've got kind of this serial killer esque character, you know, you're waiting for this reveal for them you know, but in this movie, I feel like we're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop with with Lily. Like we're waiting for her to kind of figure it out. It's not the audience figuring it out. Like we already know literally everything about this guy. We knew it in five minutes, you know, or 10 minutes. So it's, it's more about this kind of emotional, which makes those emotional scenes hit that much harder because we're, we're not trying to figure out anything still. We know everything. We have all of our information up front. It's just like, you're kind of just like, watching someone go through this journey, you know, from the outside looking in and it hits a lot harder that way. And yeah, no, I, I, uh, you're not being too harsh at all, Nathan. Uh, no, <laughs> no sympathy on my end from, for, uh, old Tom there. Um, which well, makes that tongue bite that much more victorious feeling. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Two, two things, because I want to come back to that tongue bite. So yeah. that like that also parallel the, uh, the audience seeing Tom for who he really is and Lily not, that also parallels so much of real life of, you know, like I, I am positive that every single one of us knows someone who has been in a relationship where everyone else can see why it's bad news, but yeah. the person in the relationship doesn't see it. And no matter how hard you try to get them to see it, they either feel like you are attacking them or that you don't trust them or that you don't want them to be happy or that you're just being harsh or jealous or whatever the case might be. It's, it's so easy for the outsider to see why it's a bad relationship, but from yeah. the inside and uh, the Allison, uh, I, I keep wanting to say Lily, but I'm not talking to Lily. I'm talking to Allison, <laughs> but Allison in your uh, Lily monologue, um, you know, you, you talk about that, about how like it's, it's so different when you're in the relationship. Other people can see so easily. Why didn't you just leave? And it's not, that easy i've again through uh through counseling have known a, a tragic number of people 
who know that they need to leave. Like they're past the point of not realizing it. They know they need to leave, but either can't because of fear for their safety or they don't want to leave. Like they, they want to leave, but it's like that. But, but, but if, but if I leave this, who could ever love me? Who could ever love someone who's so broken? And, and again, like that, one of the many, many reasons why I feel like this film is so important is to give hopefully some people some insight into look people in an abusive relationship are not able to just say, Oh, this is an abusive, abusive relationship. I'm out. Like it's not that easy. It's not the same perception. People who are gaslit don't know that they've been gaslighted. I, yeah, it's, it's tragic. Yeah, it's tragic. And, um, I think one of the important things for me to kind of grapple with emotionally as Lily was the embarrassment around it. Cause like you said, when you're in it, you can't see it. And then you get out and everyone's like, yeah, we've been telling you for so long, like, what were you fucking doing? And there's this like shame around how we, how did I stay that long? And was I a weak person? And I thought I was a strong person, but maybe I'm not. And this like then turmoil within the embarrassment to even tell anyone or talk about it. Um, that was a layer of it that was really important for me to, you know, jump in with. And then I think, yeah, we have Deb who even with Tom is like warning her and saying like, I don't know, this doesn't sound like a very good idea. And as you mentioned that defensiveness of, okay, well, I'm finally happy. I'm finally having a good experience. And now you're making me feel like I'm not supposed to. And I think all of those things are very connected. The shame, the defensiveness, the, the glomming on to anything that seems positive and hopes that this time it's different. Um, and that those steps in the abuse cycle, um, as I'm sure you've seen in your counseling, just really, really repeat themselves in a way that it looks different for everyone. But so many of those stages are very um, consistent with people. It seems. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I want to, yeah, if, yeah. if we have a sec, I want to circle back to something that you guys were just talking about because it was something that like I knew would be a thing from as soon as I started writing the script, which was that first scene. So when I was writing the script, I always wanted that scene to be first. And it wasn't until I opened up for, for notes before the final revisions. And I love that because sometimes people say something and you're like, Oh, you know what? I didn't think of that. That's good. Other times they say things and you stick to your guns and you're like, Nope, I'm going to fight for this. I know it's the right choice. And that first scene was a little divisive when I asked people for notes and the, the pushback on it was always, well, it's, it's fun. If it's a reveal, like, why are you giving away what he does? You should reveal it later. And for me, my, my thing was always, I love the movies where the audience knows something that characters don't because it, it, it's both fun for you to be in on the secret and it's extra frustrating for you that, you know, you're screaming at the TV, like, how do you not know what's going on? It's been right in front of you. Like he's a double agent, you know, for you to know something that they don't know can be torturous. And I think, you know, like you guys have both said, I also wanted that to mirror the experience of someone that's trapped in this relationship, which is that the rest of the world can see something that you don't. And like Allison said, you know, there's parts of you that in your brain somewhere probably recognize it, but then you tell yourself like, no, you know, I, it, it, he's not really like that. Or, you know, you justify it in all these ways. And that's part of what builds into the shame and the embarrassment. And these are all like extra reasons why people have a hard time leaving 
things. A lot of people that are in abusive relationships end up staying for longer than than they told themselves they were going to, even once they get to the point that they know they have to leave, just because it's really hard to get out of. And I think everybody that gets out of it says, I should have left sooner, but I couldn't. And then insert the variety of reasons why not. So I really wanted to try and mirror that experience as much as possible for the audience and to have those as, as parallel elements. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that that's coming across because that was a definite choice that we had to make. And I felt like that was one place that I just really had to stick to my guns. And I hoped that the power of the audience being in on it, but the character not was enough. And that it didn't feel like we spoiled the reveal of who the character was, because to me, you know, it, the name is in the title, like that ship has already sailed. I really, it was more important for me to try and mimic the experience of someone like a dub that sees it and the character still doesn't see it. So hopefully, you know, ultimately more people get that out of it than going like, Oh, I wish I would have just not known that he was sucking tears. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic in this film of, you know, from, I guess from, you know, one, one type of perception that I had from it is that we know everything about Tom from the beginning and the get go and throughout the story. And we don't know everything about Lily. You know, we get some, you know, reveals of, of past and, you know, kind of her mannerisms and stuff like that. And in a weird way, we're rooting for Lily, but it's almost kind of like we're following Tom through a lot of the film as kind of this pseudo main character, which kind of, I guess, could relate to kind of, you could make a parallel. That's kind of like the power that he kind of presides over her in a way throughout the story until the tables turn at the very end. I was, I kind of thought that was weird. I was thinking about that today. Not, not weird, but it's an interesting concept to kind of think of, of kind of rooting for someone that's clearly the, the hero of the story um but you know you're kind of well it's like i well i know everything about this other person in the story so that's kind of making me feel weird you know yeah. and i'm like it, it kind of adds to that emotional disgust of uh your character uh brilliantly played thank you yeah the the, the fun of the reveal is getting to know more and more of lily's monologue throughout the course mm-hmm. of the movie you know because yeah. if if you started with her in the hospital it wouldn't have been the same movie. And I don't think that would have landed the same be- because I don't want, I want to get off this because there's a few other questions that I still want to ask about, but it wouldn't have had the same impact because a lot of people who have been in abusive relationships don't come out and say when you first meet them, like, Hey, I'm Lily. I was in an abusive relationship and uh, my drunk asshole of a boyfriend died right in front of me. Nice to meet you. Like you don't, no, who who says that when they no first meet them? <laughs> and and so people hide their trauma, mm-hmm. and and for me, uh, again, that's part of why this movie works so well is because nothing about Lilia from the outset makes you think that she went through as traumatic as what she went through. You know, it could have just been a bad breakup. And so that's as you point. get to know more and more about her, and as you get to see more and more of what that trauma was and how traumatic it was there's even more of, of that connecting with her and just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And so like, as you grow with her like that, again, if, if you had started with her being beaten and bruised, it, it wouldn't have had the same impact. Mm. Uh, so one, one other super quick thing before we move on to the next question, 
The next time someone, uh, Sam, says to you, oh, you shouldn't have uh, started out with that, you know, there, there needed to be the review. Just remind them that one of the greatest murder mystery shows of all time is Columbo, where yes. every single episode you saw the killer kill. There was no mystery of who did it or why. The, mm-hmm. the fun yeah. of the Columbo shows was getting to see getting to see how you know Columbo figured it out even if you already knew it it's getting to watch him figure out what's going on and getting to see the murderer kind of twist and squirm trying to get out of it so the next time someone's like why, why'd you spoil it by having him you know suck the tears at the very beginning just remind them of Columbo uh, and then uh, tell them to shut it Right, I will say, monsters podcast approved. They liked it. Yes, I will say, <laughs> according to uh, according to you, Tearsucker equals Columbo. Yes. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. Full stop. That's actually he actually ripped that off my letterboxed review. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> letterboxed reviews. We got to figure that out. I I still don't review because I don't I, review either. Well, I, I just feel like everything that I want to say, it's like, nope, this would be too long to write. I'm just, I'm going to say whether or not I liked it and then tell people to go listen to the podcast. Um, yeah. All right. So with uh, getting back into uh, the, some of the specific questions and I will try to not ask all of them, but there's a few. Um, oh, wait, no. I remember the other one that I was going to go back to before this one. Corey, when you mentioned that, how satisfying it was when Lily bites off Tom's tongue, that reminded me. So was that a very intentional castration metaphor because all of his power and all of his um, uh, ability to manipulate, but also seemingly the only way that he got any joy was through his tongue. And so when, uh, when Lily bit off Tom's tongue, like it so emasculated him because it took away his only source of, of anything was that intentional or am I just doing my typical over analysis that I love to do with movies? No, that wasn't, that was intentional. I, I felt like to give the audience that true cheer moment to give Lily an end to her arc, to make it as satisfying as it could be. She can't just kind of win in that scene. Like you said, she has to rob him of his power. She has to take away the thing that means the most to him. That is his only connection. That is, his tool, everything. And, and I thought that's the, that's the only way that I can end this scene. I think anything else would not have felt satisfying in the same way and would not have given her a win in all the senses of castrating him essentially. I also think, I mean, yes, there's the actual castration of the tongue is the thing he's licking her tears with. But to me, it was also a big metaphor for the way he's inflicting pain on her is through his words, you know, like he has been assaulting her with his words. And so to me, there is that big moment of like, yeah, fucking try to say something awful to me now. (laughs) You know, know, there's an extra layer too. I think that's what I noted from it. Most of all is now he can't talk. So like he literally like that's, you know, you can't emotionally manipulate someone if they don't know what you're saying to them. <laughs> yep, true. You just you're just mumbling to me. I don't. I don't. You know, <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> well, and and this was the scene uh, earlier when I was talking about how the the music and and the color theme, like all of that stuff, built. This is part of uh, what I was also referencing of 
nothing's really shown in this movie. Like there's nothing really graphic. It is a very, very tame uh, visually movie in terms of, you know, not, not much blood, uh, no nudity, like, you know, all of these things that most people associate with horror movies. You don't really get any of that. And so Lily biting off Tom's tongue, I could see how most people are like, what? Why, why is the movie ending with her covered in blood? And for me, it's like, no, this is that release. Like everything has been escalating up to this point to where it does not feel out of place at all. It feels like this is the way that it needed to end because yeah, like if she had just, you know, knocked him out and ran away, I don't feel like it would have been the same movie. It wouldn't have had that same release. It would have just been like, all right, cool. She got away. But I mean, y'all were there uh, at the screening in chat film fest when she bit off his tongue, there was thunderous applause. Like yeah. everyone oh, so in the- <laughs> <It's so laughs> yeah, people so were fun. cheering. There were at least three fuck. Yes. Like it was, <laughs> it, it was the moment that everyone was waiting for the entire movie. Uh, so yeah, audience was so lovely and engaged and gave us such great reactions. We were sitting in the back, just like, Oh my God, this is so fun <laughs> to hear people. Like it was just so, so cool. Yeah. And I'd always, we, you know, I'd always hoped that would be the reaction at the end. And, you know, after everything that you've been through to give her that moment, I had hoped that people would cheer, but you don't, you know, you don't really know when, when I was going back and forth on the ending, the ending took, I, I, I saw the whole movie right away. The ending was something that I wrestled with a lot, especially because originally it was set at like a, a different location than out in the desert. And, um, once, once I hit on, Oh, that's it. She, she bites his tongue off at the end. Then I felt like that's the arc that, that that's where she needs to end up. That's the right arc for Tom. I I don't, I don't know if we had ended it any other way. If you would have walked away with the same sense of satisfaction that you had with that. I think that was the only way to do it where it feels satisfying in the way that it should. Yeah. And it is, so satisfying. Very satisfying. <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah, need, need a little bit of gross. Um, yeah. All right. So, so speaking of the uh, the ending, uh, Sam, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this during the film fest. But I love the book ending of this movie, where it starts out with Lily saying to Deb, "I don't want to cry," and Deb mm-hmm. saying, "Then, then don't." But then it ends with Lily saying, "He wanted me to cry." I'm done crying. I, I love that book ending. I think that there's, I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, the, the movie is tear sucker. And so obviously having those themes of, of tears, uh, you know, makes sense, but I love the way that it starts out with Lily almost not being in control of her own emotions. Like I don't want to cry, but it's outside of what I can do. I'm just, I, I cry. That's just what happens. And then it gets to the end of I'm done crying. And I could see how some people might interpret that as Lily almost like, you know, taking on some of the characteristics of her abuser as far as being cold and emotionless and, you know, not wanting to cry, not wanting to feel. Uh, But I'm not one of those people. To me, it did not come across that way at all. To me, it came across not as I'm done crying. And so therefore, I will never have any tears and I will never have any emotion. To me, it came across as I'm done letting other people control who I am and how I feel. I'm done letting other people manipulate my emotions. If I cry, it's going to be because I want to cry and not because someone else has made me cry. And and again, just that that agency um, and, and her character arc of going from 
I don't, I don't want to cry, but I can't, I can't help it. I can't control it to I'm in charge of who I am. Like, I feel like it is such an empowering moment. And, and again, a beautiful character arc. So can the two of you talk a little bit about that, Sam, from the writing perspective of, you know, like what's, what was your uh, motivation from uh, sort of having that character arc? And then Allison, what was it like to actually play through that, that arc over the course of the film? Uh, well, I always, I, I always wanted to have some kind of a bookend and that just kind of developed. And I saw that, you know, kind of saw that scene in my head. And to me, it, even though she was saying the words, it was about so much more than the words that she's saying. It was, it was a statement of purpose. It was her telling herself in the world that, you know, I'm, I'm done with all that shit. And I am from this point on forward, a person that is going down a different path that I was going down before. And I am choosing to do that. So like, that's what I wanted all of that to be about. I didn't want it to feel like she was saying I'm better now. I'm done crying because that's not how it works. I think she is on a different path now and she has chosen to go on a different path, which is a really powerful thing. She put a definitive stop to what was happening. That's a hugely powerful thing. Um, but I think to me, it was her saying like, I am on to the first step of this next journey. And I wanted it to be about all more than that. And I always felt like this is something that's going to work. But what was interesting to me was I know that Allison said that after, I remember after we shot that scene, she was worried about how that line was going to come off and all. It was the most challenging line in the movie. Yeah. That was a very hard line. (laughs) Um, I'm so glad to hear that you took it the way you took it because that's how I saw it and I did not want people to take it away as like oh all better I'm not gonna cry anymore because that's not real no one you don't just magically get better you know and I think for me the biggest sort of full circle of the theme was that to me grief is a monster it's this huge terrible thing that it's impossible to tackle it can consume your whole life And I think in my personal life, um, I ran away from my emotions for a long time. And I, you know, logically processed a lot of things, but just pushed a lot of things in my body away. And I think there's this moment where it's going to catch up with you. You can't do that forever. You can, you can push stuff back. You can bottle it up. You can shove it down. It's going to catch up with you. And I think there's this visual I had of like the monster catching up with you and you can either run away from it or you can turn around and face it head on and tackle it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Lily's doing. It's I can, I'm going to handle this now and I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not going to get back in the same cycle. And yeah, I'm like, like you said, there's not, not that I'm not going to cry, but I'm not going to cry for other people. My emotions are mine. It's so funny. The, my, my emotions belong to me, that book, but there is something about that. That's no, and this guy doesn't get to control me. No, no one gets to control me like that. You know, this is my, my stuff, you know? So I think um, I'm done crying. I think that's the start of Lily's journey of, you know, facing herself and facing her demons and, mm-hmm finding yourself. And I know I personally very interested in where she goes from here, but um, I'm really glad that you 
saw it that way. Cause I, I did, I told Sam, I was worried that it would come across like magically fixed, which is not at all no. a human experience. Anyone really has. No, and I feel like we also like you had limited time to shoot that bit as well. Oh. Right. So, so that, that played into what you were worried about is that you didn't get enough. I got like three or something. Yeah. So yeah. we actually shot this scene. So the um, sun, I guess we're in spoiler. Spoiler is okay. Now the but sun yeah. rise as I've been walking all night was actually a trick sunset. Um, and the first day we tried to film it, the, there was like too many clouds. And Steven had this shot that with the big sun, very clear in his mind. And we weren't able to get it. We ran out of time. It was freezing. I was in that little nightgown walking down the side of the road with like cactuses and birds in my feet. And it was just like <laughs> everything that was going wrong could go wrong. And we missed it the first night. Mm. And luckily, Danielle had a feeling that there could be a weather thing. Maybe things wouldn't work out. She's, I don't know if everyone knows Danielle who plays Deb is also our AD and scheduled the movie. Um, but so she had built in a second day just in case built in some time at sunset the next day. So we went back and at this point it's like, well, if we don't get it now, we're screwed. So that whole ending scene had to be shot, you know, during that golden hour sunset time. And by the time we got in the car with the blood, I think Stephen was like, we got five minutes to get this. And there was a lot of like, you know, moving things around. And I'm like, oh no, the weight of the last line of the movie falls on this moment. <laughs> uh, but I think in the end, we have such a supportive, amazing group that everyone just like focused in. And it was like, all right, we got to get this last scene. Um, but yeah, that whole uh, desert experience was pretty, we have some crazy behind the scene. I know we're at the end of this time, but we have some crazy behind the scenes stories about the conditions out there. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the last line, it did not come across as cheesy. It did not come across as everything's better. It did not come across as I'm emotionless to me. It came across very clearly as I am in charge of my emotions now. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Sorry. I, I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Allison, but like the first time that I watched the same cut of the movie all the way through with the music as it is now, I, I like sobbed at the end of it. And it wasn't necessarily because I was happy with how the movie was. I, I realized that I was happy for Lily in that moment, you know, like after, after hearing that last line, I don't know. I think especially because of all the stuff that I've done with people who have been through these awful relationships and situations, the moment when you get to see them go, fuck this, like I'm done with this, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going back to that again. I'm not going to be, it's such a, an amazing thing. And I think the first time I saw it, the way that you performed that last line, I don't know, it just, it's something like let loose in me after I saw it. And I was just genuinely happy for her, which speaks to how good your performance was in that scene. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, and uh, Allison, as you were talking about that, uh, as far as, you know, like being able to face things and, uh, you know, like coming to terms with, with, with who you are and being in charge of your own emotions, it made me think of another great double feature, but this one primarily because of the ending. So spoilers for a movie uh, that we're not talking about, but it reminded me of Babadook. And how at the end of that movie, uh, if you've not seen it, I'm about to spoil Babadook for you. Uh, but at the end, when she finally faces her monster, that monster is her grief. And so the way that she's able to keep it at bay is not running from it. It's not ignoring it. 
it's addressing it head on and understanding grief is a part of my past. It's a part of who I am. And the only way to move past it, not to accept it, but to, um, to, to allow herself to feel the emotions and know that the, the grief of losing her husband is something that should not be turned into the hatred of her son. And, and so like, you know, the, the end of the movie has her essentially feeding her grief monster, but in a way that to me really works. And I love that movie. Uh, not what we're talking about right now, but it reminded no, me of, so, of that. You're so right. It's like, it's like an integration or something. Like it's not, you're like, you're shutting it off, but it's like, we're going to, we're going to function together now. My grief and I, it yeah. sounds very dramatic, but it's, it's true. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. And now I'm very excited to watch it. Oh, well I've spoiled it for you. Okay. Uh, but watch Babadook. It's great. Um, if you don't like annoying kids, the kid in the movie is incredibly annoying, but oh. that's the point. The <laughs> point is he is supposed to be annoying so that as you're watching the movie, you're relating to the mother and being like, Oh my God, this kid is so annoying. And so you're feeling things with her as, mm-hmm. as you're going through, cause the kid is just screaming and yelling and Ugh. so annoying. But it is very intentional. It's the point. It's it, it's a great movie. Um, yeah, um, I have more things that I could probably ask, but I feel like all of them, especially after this, are more of just kind of like uh, slightly more trivial. So I am probably fine to not ask some of them. I think, even though I've really really want to uh we're having so much fun answer whatever you want i mean if you're not in any rush to go (laughs) all right i'm gonna keep asking questions then so the internet plays a major role in in this movie uh you know from the facetime to the zoom calls to the vlogging to that video being uh shared on reddit was all of this a byproduct of just the fact that we live in such an internet dependent world or was it very specifically there to highlight just how isolated Alice, uh, not Allison, sorry, just how isolated Lily was? It's getting late. I apologize if I'm <laughs> starting no. to mix names. It's yeah, it might I, be early for y'all, but it's approaching midnight for us. I am uh, I am in general always frustrated by having to interact with people through a medium like a screen because I feel like you know, as an empathetic person, part of what I love about people and, you know, part of why sometimes I need to be away from people is that I feel things from them very strongly and going through a device, it's like, it's just not the same. And that's always frustrating to me. And, you know, I think with someone like Lily, it's even worse for her because of where she's at in her life and where she's at in her journey as a survivor. And, you know, on top of that, just plot wise, I felt like for Tom to go after her with the zest that he does and for her to be so perfect for him, isolation is a super important part of the sauce because, you know, like what a lot of abusers do is, or even, you know, like what cults do is the first thing they try and isolate you and get you away from your support system and get you away from anybody that can point out how awful you're being. And then once you pull that person away from their support system and everyone else in their life, then you can get in there and start scrambling their brains more effectively. And for Tom, she's already so isolated, you know, that 
he doesn't have to do a lot of that work peeling her out like he would with other people. She's already there. She's already primed in a lot of ways. So just like plot wise for the relationship to work, that was a super important element that I also thought it's very relatable now more than ever after two years of everyone being stuck at home by yourself and living, seeing your friends through screens and doing birthday parties on screens or waving out the window. Like it's just not the same. It always feels like something is missing. And so I I felt like, you know, both for plot reasons and because it's relatable to the audience now that hopefully that stuff would be powerful. But we also had to be careful just as filmmakers that there's not too much of it because just watching people video chat, you know, for half of a movie would be boring. So a lot of the stuff that we cut out is extra dialogue, like between Deb and Lily, where there's more conversations that go into their backstory and some other things that are happening. And, you know, you don't miss any of it because it didn't need to be there. I also tend to overwrite stuff. Sure. But um, that was something that, that like Stephen was constantly, especially in the fine cuts, constantly focused on is what's the balance? How much of this can we have to establish your character, establish the relationships, put you in the world, make you feel like you understand her experience without going across the line into like, Oh my God, I've been watching people talk on zoom for, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So that was, that was something that we were aware of and that we had to work a lot on for sure. Yeah. And speaking of zoom, uh, the, the, the zoom call, especially at the beginning, Oh my God. So painfully <laughs> real. Like the whole, like, Oh, Oh, is that chamomile? I've been in so many meetings where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. And so for me, I hate small talk. So all of that small talk that's happening uh, on that zoom call, I'm just like, God, this is uncomfortable. Like I just, I, <laughs> I hated it so much and not like I hated that part of the movie, but it felt so real and it felt so just like, Oh, small talk is the worst and small talk through zoom is the worst of the worst. Yeah. It was, well, you're yeah. definitely twisting the knife there for sure. Yeah. And, and, and all those awkward pauses of just like, Oh, is it came up? Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. That's uh felt, felt too real. That group of actors are all really talented, amazing improvisers. And we just got on and I think Danielle was aging that day and was like, great, we're going to talk about beverages, go. And everyone just is like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, everyone in that group is so great at creating that awkward Zoom cringy conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it I just, I just, those, are, those are so funny to me because clearly like nobody wants to talk about work and nobody wants to do any work. So they bullshit, but by bullshitting, you make the whole thing go on even longer. <laughs> yep. And you know, it's, it's just, it's just awful to me. So I, we, we hope that it felt as awful and real as it apparently came off. So again, that makes me very happy to hear. Oh, it, it definitely did. Uh, well, <laughs> sp- speaking of the, uh, the internet and isolation and how Lily was primed, would Tom have ever, would, would Tom have found Lily? were it not for the internet? That's a good question. Um, it would have been, it would have been a lot harder. I think the internet enabled him to narrow his search and it didn't have to be as much of a shotgun approach. There was less trial and error. He was able to more perfectly select his next victim because of the internet. I think it's possible he still could have found her somewhere, but the internet made him 
made it so he could do what he does more efficiently for sure. Yeah. I, I wonder, cause I think about the internet now and how so many people that would never meet in real life can be connected. It's just an interesting, yeah, you'd, ha- you'd have to have a different approach for sure. Yeah. Also it's, it's so, you know, it's so easy for predators in so many situations to be able to look through 300 people and look for the little hallmarks that they're looking for or for them to be anonymous or for them to take on a different version of their persona or for them to build a a fake relationship that feels real in all of the different ways that we interact online from like the common ones to the more specific ones. So, you know, I definitely think that that's a reflection of the world that we live in now in one way or another, you know, unfortunately. I also think that on Lily's end, I don't know that she would have shown that level of emotion, even in an in-person therapy session or group session or anything like that. Like, I think there's this veil that the internet gives you this safety veil, Mm -hmm. especially if you're alone and you're talking to your microphone by yourself. It almost just feels like, you know, you're journaling or something. And I think about really the video that he finds of Lily that turns him on to her. I think she, I mean, she definitely regrets posting it by the time the morning comes and it's too late and it's all over Reddit. But I think that the internet created that feeling of safety for her to even go there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, and that brings up, uh, I, I think probably the last thing that, uh, that I really want to focus on, because again, it's starting to get late and we have taken up far too much of your time, <laughs> but th- that gets at something that, um, there's a lot of themes uh, driving this movie, but I feel like that's one of the core elements that is sort of underlying all of this is the role of vulnerability and trust and abuse. Uh, and, and Sam, you mentioned this in one of the other uh, interviews that you've done where you talked about how like once you know, once you knew some of Allison's triggers, you're like, oh, I need to make sure to be more aware of that and, and I need to be more respectful of that. And like there's there's a lot of power that comes with that to make sure that you are not doing things knowingly to trigger and and how much trust that there has to be between two people and and Allison like you just said uh, Lily was so vulnerable in in what she conveyed about herself anonymously though not anonymous anonymously at all and how so much of this movie and so much of Lily and Tom's interactions if this were not a horror movie if this were if this were a romantic drama everything that Lily did was the quote-unquote right decision to be vulnerable, to be in a loving, trusting relationship, to open herself up so that they can have a connection, so that they can move past this trauma, so that they can move forward. And and, and I just find that to be such a fascinating element, not only of this movie, but about just life, where it's like, okay, you, you have two options. You can either be vulnerable and just pray that people don't abuse that, or you can be closed off and and sheltered and and I feel like part of a, again one of the many reasons why this movie works so well is Tom with no emotion no guilt no remorse no nothing he's not vulnerable because he's not like there's nothing about himself that he's opening up except for that one scene where he says uh, that he sometimes he feels like uh, an android and I still go back and forth on whether or not that was him um, manipulating or if that was an actual part of him that he let slip. That's the only part where I question 
was that part of the act or did he slip and then use that and, and like try to recover to, to then use that in that moment. Uh, which, which I'm glad that there is a question there. I'm glad that there's a little bit of like, Ooh, does he have real feelings? Anywho, because he is not sharing anything about himself because he's so cold and calculated. That's what it looks like. If you are not, if you're not vulnerable, if you don't open yourself up to other people, if you don't have any sort of connection and, and, and like seeing that dichotomy of be cold hearted and an abuser or be vulnerable and potentially be abused. And I, I know that those aren't the only two options, but in looking at that extreme and looking at, you know, people who have been in an abusive relationship before and where some people might say, Oh, well, you know, in this new relationship, why did you tell him this? Or why did you say that? Or why did you, it's like, well, because if I don't, how is there any connection? You know, like if I don't connect to this person, how can I ever move past this? Right. And, and I think that, for me, at least, um, in looking at all of the tragic things that happened between Tom and Lily and seeing what hell she had to go through to get to the point of I'm done crying. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I feel like she had to open herself up so extremely to see what are the limits of who I am and what do I control? And I feel like if there hadn't been such a traumatic event after the first traumatic event that she had already been through, she would have stayed in that cycle. And that's not a like blaming the victim or saying like, Oh, well if she had only blah, 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 blah. It's more of just there, there is a give and take with vulnerability and there's a give and take with trust. And if she hadn't been through this, she would have gone through how many other abusive relationships and which would have been worse and which would have been preferable. And, and there's no right answer. And that's such a a core part of just the human existence. And I feel like this movie captures it in such a way of like, Oh, well, if she only hadn't posted the video, none of this would have happened. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it needed just ended up in a different version of it. Right. Right. And I think there is such a delicate balance. Um, And I think you could even take it and let's say we'll pull it back to a less severe example. Like maybe you weren't abused, but you just had a bad relationship and you're going into a new one, right? Like maybe it was just an average, not so great relationship. You had a hard breakup. There's always that balance of, well, you want to protect yourself and you have walls up, but also I want to be open and vulnerable and hopeful that there is a good person out there. And then obviously when you add in layers of abuse and trauma, it's, it's even more, but I think you, you've got to, I mean, even in my own dating life, and I I guess I don't know that everyone listening to this knows that Sam and I are together in real life. We have been together for about three years. And (laughs) I think we forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, in before dating Sam, I was so close. I mean, I was like at a point and I luckily haven't been any, through any, you know, abusive romantic relationships, but I had been on just some, this is just some kind of douchey, <laughs> not so great people. And, uh, you know, I got into a point where I was like, Ugh, I'm over it. I'm deleting the apps. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, Sam and I became friends. And I think because we were just friends in the beginning, there was so much shared and so much respect for each other that by the time we were really dating, there was just this, um, yeah, level of comfort and vulnerability that was built in. And I don't know that I could have had that um, if I hadn't been at least hopeful, like there's got to be a good guy out there somewhere. Right. I know. And it's like, it's, it's that kind of cliche rom-com thing, but I think that's such a big part of Lily's mindset and becomes, 
important in the film that that's part of why she's ignoring the red flags. She's like, there's just gotta be a good, good, good one somewhere. Right. You know, and um, in real life, I'm very lucky that I found Sam because he is a very, very good person. And I, part of why I think you asked earlier how, how I got there emotionally. Like I felt so, so comfortable and safe acting with Sam. Um, We had acted together in another film before this, but not, you know, anything with this level of vulnerability. And I felt completely safe going there because I knew when we called cut, Sam was there like to hug me and, you know, real Sam, not Tom (laughs) uh, was there, which was really um, nice to be able to use that in this, in this work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this, this stuff is all, so fascinating to me because like you said, it really gets to the core of what it is to be human. And there are the extreme versions of it, but also like so many different layers where you have a choice of like, okay, well, I'm going to be closed off so I don't get hurt again, but then you don't feel anything. And then you, and then you were, you know, Lily is at the beginning or where Tom is a lot of it. And there's the other side, which is what Tom wants, which is to feel everything. So like, you know, in part of his monologue, when he's on the bed and he's talking about what he gets from the tears, which is all of a sudden he feels joy and sadness and anger. And it was, it was important to me to make sure that when he's talking about feelings, part of what he's so excited about is he feels all of them because I feel like that's the way that it works. When you let in one, when you're open up to experience one part of the packages you also experience the stuff that hurts. That's just part of the deal. So as people, we have to either accept that and try and recover from the things that hurt and find a way to deal with them or shut it all off and go through life feeling nothing, which to me is so much worse than not ever getting to experience any of the stuff that I think makes us people. And this goes back to like, you know, my own also fascination with the idea of androids. And like, you know, when I was writing the movie, I was watching, I don't know if you saw raised by wolves, but I thought it was great. Of course, like a lot of the stuff I like, it got pulled, but that's about androids that take uh, that like try and start a new human civilization on a different planet and have to like shepherd people and, you know, be a mother essentially, except not have the actual connection that a mother does. And I just, you know, I think it's something that everybody has to deal with in your own way, unless you're a sociopath that just naturally doesn't feel anything is at any given point in your life, kind of make a decision of, am I going to be open and feel things? Am I going to trust myself to be with this person, even though sometimes it might hurt, but then I get to feel all the good stuff too. Or am I just going to numb myself and shut it all down as a way of protecting myself, which is totally understandable, but then you don't get to feel anything. And that's like, that's what would separate us from a machine is even if they look like people, they don't get to have this amazing experience that we do with all of the things that we feel. And you know, getting back to something that you said earlier, is Tom a tragic character in a way? I think, do you feel sympathy for him as an audience member? I would hope not. Um, You know, well, I mean, some people might, I would hope that you don't, but in his mind, he recognizes how awful it is to not feel anything. And I think that that's one of the things that made it interesting for me to play him is he truly does see that as a tragedy that he wants to feel things and he can't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what was always one of the more interesting elements to his character. And, you know, it, it gets to this decision that we all have to make. 
to like how available are we going to be and how vulnerable are we going to be even when it's scary or painful yeah well for me this movie captures all of that again I fucking love this movie. The second half of this episode alone, we've already been talking for almost the runtime of the movie. So (laughs) you're so fun to talk to and you have such good questions. Well, thank you. you. Like I'm, I'm generally interested in this stuff. So I'm, I'm always happy to talk to somebody else that is too. Like a lot of my favorite movies are the ones where you could sit up all night debating them. So it's so fun that, you know, to find someone that wants to talk about ours in that same way. Cause first and foremost, you know, I'm a movie fan. Well, thank you so much for uh, for being here and and going through all of this. I probably could come up with more questions, but again, <laughs> this has already been a very long episode. So <laughs> let's start wrapping things up, Corey. If anyone is still listening? My God, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank thank you for staying with us. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Corey. Are there any questions? that you uh want to ask that we have not touched on uh at to to this point no i've just felt like a passenger uh this episode (laughs) i've I've been very grateful to be here um to just listen to you guys every question that i've really had has just been kind of snowballed into the answer that i was looking for so it was a real pleasure just to hear you guys talk about your process and writing and, and acting um and uh, making this like wonderful film. Um, and it was a, a joy to meet you guys. Um, and I'll see you soon in person instead of Zoom, because uh, hopefully you'll come back next year. Um, Absolutely. I was going to say, though, one of my favorite, I, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier that, that I didn't really feel that there was any kind of re- curtain reveal or anything like that in the whole film, because we kind of were, you know, shown much of the things that would need to be revealed like most of Tom's character. But one thing that hit me so hard that I just now uh, kind of remembered while you guys were talking was um, when they go out to this, Oh, I found this really cool place that we can go stay. And then when you walk in and you realize that it's Tom's house and I was like, Oh, yep. oh uh, that was such a good, Oh man. I had no idea. I couldn't have even guessed it. It was it was such a good twist in a way there. Um, and I didn't know if that was kind of maybe something that you kind of fell into or if that was strictly in the writing process that you were like, oh, this is going to be kind of the the real trap of the film. Yeah, I, I, I definitely hoped that that would function as a reveal. That was it was in the script. And, uh, you know, we hoped that that when people were watching it, they would have that moment of like, Oh shit, this is the creepy house where he's been doing all that weird stuff and he brought her there. I I honestly didn't know if when they pulled up, people would connect the two or if it would be when they saw the red chair. You know, the hope was when they saw the red chair. It so was I'm the red chair. I'm glad yeah. you say that, but that was one where like we really didn't know uh, if that was going to be a moment where kind of like an oh shit moment or not. So we're always very happy to hear when someone sees like, oh fuck man, he brought her there. Yeah. Like nothing good yeah. is going to happen now. Cause that's that was, exactly that was, how I felt. That was definitely the hope for it, sure. It felt like the scene in scream uh, where the cell phone drops out of um, oh, uh, yeah, not, not yeah. stew. Uh, the other one, when, when the cell phone drops out of his pocket and you're like, yeah. Oh shit. It, it felt like that. <laughs> uh, and, and that reminded me with the, with those themes of color, 
that was one of the scenes that I said I wanted to come back to when Lily is in Tom's house. It changes the color scheme where things are a lot more uh, brighter. And I assume some of that was also just Tom having the awareness of don't make my house look like a murder house. But it also worked thematically with how dark it had uh, gotten. Because if I remember correctly, uh, Tom's house got progressively darker every scene that he was in there until mm-hmm. Lily showed up and then it was a lot brighter. And again, that use of color leading up to, uh, to that blue room uh, again, all, all of those elements, whether people notice them or not, they, they feel them and they experience them. And, and the, the movie definitely stacks upon itself to you get to the end. And it's just, just such a release. And, and again, fucking love this movie. It's, it, it's so good. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Uh, it's well, like such a like a beautiful way to celebrate like well, I guess where you guys are in in like I don't know what thirty minutes the movie will be out and we haven't really had time to like embrace that today and so I was like what if this really feels like a really fun special way to ring it in oh. and be with you guys to talk about it right before well, it uh, enters the world. Well, yeah. that that warms our hearts and hopefully people will be waking up this episode and can listen to it and then go watch your sucker and then listen to the rest of it and uh hopefully have even more questions than we did uh sam allison is there anything else that you want to say about about the movie about uh about anything anything else that you want to say uh before we give some of the uh the socials and where to find us no, I don't think so. I think we covered everything. I just want to say thank you for having us on. You know, like I said, I'm a huge fan of movies. I could talk about movies all day. And and for you to to get all the layers that we wanted to put in and to be interested in the same things that we were interested in, it's just been really, really fun to get to talk to you guys. So thank you so much for having us on. Thank you. Just thank you very much. That's all. Really appreciate you guys. <laughs> well, again, this warms my heart. Um, all right. Sam, where do you want uh, people to find you and or the movie? Uh, you know, all of that uh, social and self-promotional stuff that you do. I know I already said at the beginning where they can find the movie, but if you want them to uh, follow you on Instagram or anything like that, what do you want people to follow? I would say, uh, first and foremost, the movie is out on July 7th, which for most people will either be today or yesterday or whenever you're listening to this. And you can rent or buy it everywhere that movies are rentable or buyable. Uh, And then if you want to, you know, if you have questions for us or want to leave feedback or anything like that, the best place to probably do it is our Instagram, which is Tearsucker Movie. Correct, Allison? Yeah, it's at Tearsucker Movie on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, There's a Facebook page. I think that's about it. Um, And yeah, if people want to leave us reviews. We love that. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tag us. Post. Do the things. <laughs> uh, indie film uh, support is, you know, we all rely on each other to kind of spread the word. So we're excited that like part of the Chattanooga Film Festival community is just that we can tell already there's just such a beautiful built-in support system. So yeah, yeah and this we hope is, that continues you know- and we get to see people and continue to come every year. But we're planning to come back every year for sure. <laughs> good. Yeah, for sure. And supporting our movie is a good way to, I think, support movies that are not just one easily definable quantity. And like I said, those are my favorite kind of movies. And in the sales and distribution and all of those parts of the process, 
they all just want to put you in a box and it's something that you're fighting against. So, you know, by supporting us, you're also helping to support people who are making distinct individual hard to describe movies because the more like ours i think that are successful the more that people will say you know what we want to put these out we want to put out movies that are different and not just do the same thing that a hundred other people have been doing for the last 20 years because it's like quote safe in a in an ideal world independent filmmakers making unique weird artsy interesting films are the ones that are getting the most shout outs from everybody. So, you know, we appreciate everyone supporting our movie. And by doing that, you're also helping out other people that want to do distinct, interesting, weird stuff. Artsy weirdos, our favorite. Yeah. (laughs) That is definitely my favorite. Uh, Corey, where do you want people to follow you online? Um, I have Instagram, uh, C underscore Simpson one one zero seven. You can find me there. Um, I think my Letterboxd is the same. So you can follow me on Letterboxd as well. Or, uh, I don't know, you can see what I'm into, what I'm watching. <laughs> and- I never got to say my personal one. It's um, Instagram is allison.a.walter. If anyone's looking for me personally, not just the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sam doesn't have a personal one, Sam. Or I guess you have one, but you don't use it. Yeah. He's antisocials. Very understandable. Uh, you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, pretty much anywhere uh, that I've created an account for the podcast. It's Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's Gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode... <laughs> that's that's amazing that's that's what the podcast used to be like years and years and years ago uh i was talking with a friend and i i love puns i love wordplay and just i can't i can't remember like what we were talking about but i was like ooh, a gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater a gargoyle it'll be perfect and i was like that's it if i ever start like a movie a movie production company or anything that's what it's going to be and then when i started the podcast it was the gargoyle uh, podcast but let me tell you if you're trying to uh promote like people uh getting on board with things that are not easily explainable trying to explain not only how to pronounce the name but what it is but then also what it covers oh man uh, yeah that was a pain uh and be- people would always but a hilarious name well, yes. and, and people would always laugh at it like oh man this is a great name but there was nothing about it that instantly said like this is what the uh, the podcast is about uh so that is why on our logo you see like a little gargoyle dude wearing an argyle sweater that's that's the gargoyle and then uh eric's handle is the chimerican because it's a chimera mixed with you know an an american but then also eric is in the middle of american so (laughs) so, that's that's so nerdy i love it so so the the chimera on our logo is eric as he is trying to uh wrestle with the monster coming out of the vcr uh amazing it's it's a lot of fun uh so yeah follow me personally and uh links for pretty much everything uh you can find at linktree.com slash video monster pod so go there join us in discord where we typically record our episodes live whenever we record them we've fallen a little bit behind um but join us in discord be part of the conversation and like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast 
All right. Any final words from anyone regarding indie cinema or Tearsucker? Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'd say this is so fun and, you know, everybody make weird shit. Like, you know, make make stuff that's meaningful and that means something to you and that says something. Just go for it. I I need a shirt that says that or at least a bumper sticker. Uh, (laughs) And again, go watch Tearsucker. It's amazing. I love this movie. I love it so much. I'm going to be buying it very, very soon. Uh, Sam, Allison, thank you again so, so very much for joining us. This has been an absolute blast. I, I love that this is kicking off the uh, the virtual release of, of Tearsucker. I love that this is kicking off our Chat Film Fest coverage. There's so many things about this that have just lined up perfectly and couldn't be happier. So again, thank you. Thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart. You're welcome. This was a true pleasure. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. All right, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Good night, everybody.